there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. We're coming for you, banks. It's an exciting time to be involved in Bitcoin Cash at the moment. During that whole war of lightning versus big blocks, like, were we the bad guys? Were we the ones that went listening? Fundamentally, we believe in markets, transparency, and tokenization. Come on, you gotta come stronger than that, you know, like... Hello, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast, following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency especially in a bull market hell yeah uh this is episode number 69 bchn and cash tokens featuring special guest kalen kulianu i did, actually didn't ask if that was the right yeah, pronunciation that's okay. people again. pronounce it in all sorts of ways kalen 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 i prefer kalen, kalen. Yeah, kalen. Yeah, yeah. kalen okay well whatever you yeah. whatever you prefer you know one of the things i really make a big point of is trying to get people's like just in everyday life right trying to get people's uh names right because uh especially when you learn different languages and stuff sometimes people will uh you know pronounce a name a different way or something like that and then when you get it if you if you take the time to get it right they really like appreciate and notice that and you can only learn a foreign language by paying attention to those kind of details so yeah i, I try to make a weird point okay callan all right yes. <laughs> so cool. Don't worry about callan. yeah. <laughs> callan's our guest and today is sunday the 15th of january 2023 I'm your host, Jeremy. Jet is doing the producing as always. And yeah, our guest is a major contributor to the Bitcoin cash coding and programming uh, scene. <laughs> He's uh, been involved in Bitcoin cash node, which we're going to talk about in, in great detail. And before that, Bitcoin cash ABC um and also the fulcrum software I, i'll leave it up to him to explain exactly uh how that fits into the the picture of, of everything but this is a lot of the core underlying infrastructure that end users using wallets and stuff might not uh necessarily see if you just use the bitcoin.com wallet but behind the scenes this is with the actual layer of the main network so welcome to the show callan and how do you get into bitcoin uh how did i get into bitcoin that's a that's a good question i was i remember hearing about it in um in like 2011 or 2012 there was that joe rogan podcast actually like uh, where andreas antonopoulos was talking about the potential of bitcoin and that was 2014 uh, i think oh was it 2014 that I was that, that was a bit later yeah that podcast motivated me to buy a significant amount and so i think that might have been was it later i mean i may have I, I kept hearing about it, and I kept watching Andreas Antonopoulos' talks about it, and he was very motivational. Um, I I'm not sure. He sort of isn't being listened to anymore now in the Bitcoin Cash community, yes. or I'm not even sure if he's being listened to in the Bitcoin community, Bitcoin Core community, but he was like sort of a motivational speaker about Bitcoin and about, you know, he would sell the dream. And the thing that appealed to me the most about it was I was always worried about banks, like, or the government just messing with me, because, you know, I'm an American. I've lived in the U.S. my whole life. Um just there's a lot of you know potential for them to do stuff to you like i've heard of uh i don't know just the way the whole banks work like yeah they have your money and like they can do anything to you and like i was always concerned about this like i always wanted to sort of some sort of personal sovereignty with money 
just outside the system completely like <laughs> and this seemed to me like a great i was like i can't believe people are using this and like you know people were buying drugs on it with what initially or whatever like there wasn't really an exchange yet and I, so i didn't have any way to really buy any like i mined a little bit on my laptop and then i, I remember like around the time that joe rogan with An antonopolis podcast happened is when i bought a bunch of bitcoin for it was like six hundred dollars or something <laughs> i don't know what it was <laughs> uh yeah but it was always the the thing about like wow this is like kind of freedom outside the system and like people are using this and it's all in computer it just didn't I didn't even understand how it worked I was like what these transactions go through my computer but mining but what <laughs> like it didn't make any sense it was weird but it was like a puzzle like it was just fascinating like the more I learned about it the more it like bent my mind into the, like a pretzel like just the nature of like it made me really under try to think about the nature of money like what is the history of money like you never think about these things most people don't think about them you your whole life you work and you you try to you know make money but you never really think about the history of it what it means like it's a social convention it's a social contract you know that has a whole history to it like like what what does it mean really and like even that like the fact that cryptocurrency got me thinking about that it was really cool like it was just this puzzle i couldn't get away from it i kept i get obsessed with it which i think is the thing that happens to most people when they discover cryptocurrency they get obsessed with it like it's like a mind-bending like yeah absolutely <laughs> so yeah i guess back into 2012 2013 but then i bought i think at the end of 2013 i forget that's when i actually purchased some but i was like obsessed with it even before then I was just afraid to invest in, in it until I knew some more about it, which I guess is the trajectory for most people as well. <laughs> so, did you read the white paper uh, very early? Did you go straight yeah, out as a developer? Yeah, I did. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it. it back then, I think a lot of people read the white paper. It, you know, it was a small community, like uh, smaller than it is today. Like it wasn't like if you would go to the average person and say Bitcoin to them on the street, they wouldn't know what you're talking about, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, like, sort of to have cred in that community, you'd have to read the white paper, first of all. There was, like, social pressure, too. Because um, people would refer to it, and, like, I read it out of curiosity, because, it's, you know, this, as a developer, I mean, it's basically an engineering and or computer science white paper, and I have a computer science degree. So, like, yeah, I could read this. I read it. And I wanted to know what this was really about. And Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, did, yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's just fascinating to me, because, yeah, like you say, in the early days, I mean, to even have any credibility, but I just think there was just not as many resources about it. And to be into it, you had to go and kind of look at the source. And there was a certain element to which that was just required reading. And now, or at least when after I took a bit of a break from crypto and I came back and I was mind blown to meet all these people that had never read the white paper. And I truly encourage every single listener of this show to go and, and read that white paper. It's a bitcoincashpodcast.com slash bitcoin.pdf uh, and just uh, read it. There's, um, you know, if you're not a developer or you're not very mathematical or technical, there'll be some parts you don't understand, but uh, there's certainly the introduction and the abstract. What is the problem? What are we trying to solve? The areas on privacy and the conclusion. It's only nine pages, and that includes one pages of references and a bunch of white space and some diagrams. So <laughs> overall, it's really not that long, and you can get through it in, I don't know, probably half an hour, or, or even if you're a bit confused about some of it. So yeah, just every, every listener to this show really should... Uh, read that because those ideas will just sit in your mind whether or not you grasp all of it the first time and it's incredible how deep it is and how much 
satoshi engineered into it in so few words that people still go back to the white paper over and over and dig up obviously it's become a bit of religious text you know people debating over the meaning of certain lines and certain intentions and there was kind of the errata in terms of satoshi's later comments but that original <laughs> paper has become such a you know i think it will become known as one of the greatest you know piece of human writing ever uh wow but, yeah. i hope so that's that's wow that's both i guess it depends on how the history of cryptocurrency unfolds right and then if it if the vision is realized to some degree yeah that's uh, wow that's that's an interesting that's a cool way to think about it yeah <laughs> that it would be because the way i said yeah like i mean obviously you think you know what are the the take like the american declaration of independence or the bible or there's you know um the art of war maybe uh, obviously various other sort of religious uh texts the rosetta stone maybe something like that there are these famous historical texts of cryptocurrency you know becomes the entire global economy that like that's a pretty easy point to say this is where it all started and i could easily see that in 20 years or i, I think university is going to become a bit obsolete but in my mind you could <laughs> there, easily there, it seems like they're racing to the precipice on that but yeah go on sorry <laughs> well i just i just think you could easily teach you know if i was designing a university curriculum obviously being as biased as i am i would uh -huh. make you know the bitcoin white paper required reading in like, like a number of subjects like computer science obviously but it could also be required reading in economics um in political science in law i think it will increasingly become recognized in that and in philosophy as well too i think all of those you can make a very strong case that once you actually understand the ideas behind it that there's you know <laughs> there's a compelling uh argument or compelling ideas to to consider but this is always extremely just approachable like and it gives you such a good context for everything because it's it's satoshi when in his mind when he was introducing the project to the world and you know it's in this naive like he's sort of trying to make it make it very approachable it's a really approachable piece document like it's, it's yeah definitely agree with you 100 percent worth reading and uh, yeah it should be and required reading just just for the he, just for simplicity even <laughs> and it's and sort of it, it gets your mind going about a sort of a bunch of topics that you can later research and just yeah yeah absolutely agree like <laughs> it is one of those beautiful simple, elegant documents yeah sorry to cut you off go on <laughs> no no i'm i'm cutting you off he, he later said that uh there's not much to really relate bitcoin to so trying to write a description of it was famously you know very difficult for him because as much as everybody else in the world has had trouble trying to explain bitcoin to new users you know he was the first one to encounter that that problem of, of and it's it's strange actually too i don't know now that i think about it i would have to go back and look but i don't remember satoshi writing much about how he came to this idea right he sort of talks about it in retrospect as being kind of like well if you had a uh non-valuable metal that you could transfer over the internet or you know he talks about it as cash obviously and different things like that but i don't i don't know that there's been besides the references in the white paper much discussion by satoshi himself or even necessarily by later people as to what what inspired this what was like you know the apple falling from the tree onto newton's head like the, what what made him click with it why did he suddenly think ah oh, proof of work and the utxo model <laughs> i don't know that there's well, any yeah, with proof of work i guess that. there was existing like that so there was like that community of cypherpunks and there were there was existing research on sort of unrelated topics all in the same domain um 
like Adam Back famously did some proof of work stuff for like email, uh, like spam control for emails, like where you wouldn't receive an email unless it had some proof of work behind it. And that way we would make spam like really difficult to pull off because you, know, you can't send a million emails like, if it takes like, you know, half a second for each one to be generated, stuff like that. I mean, all these ideas are floating around in the crypto space. And then like he sort of put them together and there was a double spend problem. How do you solve that? It's interesting, actually, if you um, if you after you read the white paper, I mean, even before, like if people go into the old forum posts where uh, Satoshi is interacting with the cypherpunk people that are in this, I forget, I think at the like, Satoshi Institute website, you can find this stuff because it's him yes. trying to like convince them of his idea before he has his white paper or maybe right after he released it and before he released his software, he's trying to convince them of his idea and they're all shooting it down, right? They're all like, no, 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 you know. It's just funny to see how like <laughs> the the trajectory of him discussing with them, some of them being adamantly opposed to what he's doing, thinking he's an idiot. Some people agreeing with him and thinking, oh, this might have something to it, like how finny. And then you get like the software is released. And then like, you know, like a few weeks later, they're all running the software and they're into it and they believe like it's just so it's such a, an interesting human story there just in the forum posts, like in the emails. I think it's an email mailing list. It's not even a forum. It's like email mailing yeah. list threads. And I think the, like I think it's online somewhere like the Satoshi Institute or something is one of the websites. And then from the that, you can kind Institute. of glean, it's true, the human story that you're talking about, like, you know, what was going through Satoshi's mind? Like, what is his background? You know, he, he was anonymous. So he was trying to guard himself, shield himself from too much exposition of who he was and how he came about doing this. But you can glean a little bit into his personality, his insights and how he's thought about the problem deeply, like for, for a long time, like just from that interaction with, with, with the other people in his like peer group, I guess, the other technical people, the other cryptographers he was trying to convince that he'd come up with a real solution to like digital money that's like peer to peer and that's um, that solves the double spend problem, that solves sort of solves the Byzantine generals problem in a, in, a, in an interesting way, and it's just it's so funny to see like because you get that online in any forum right now like you go on Reddit and make a claim and you're gonna get some people completely like trying to destroy whatever you said you're gonna get some you know it's the typical like online thing. But then he releases the software and they're all believers because they started running it and they start seeing it works and they examine the source code. And a lot of the criticism sort of taper off. And even his, his harshest critics were like, you know, helping him at like, hey, you should do this now because that's, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like that whole history in the beginning is really interesting. Uh, well, the human it's story the ultimate proof. It's a coding story. Yeah, the ultimate proof is in the pudding, man. You build it, you build it and you show people they believe like, all all the words in the world about something, all the talking, all the mathematical theory, like until you build it, like and you, you show people, like it's that's something. That's, that's, I think that's why I became a programmer. I like building software and then being able to point to it. Hey, look. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the ultimate argument is that is that it works, and that's that's yeah, where I mean, there you can look at it. it works. Can, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Things can get a bit religious, you know, uh, but it's it's sort of that idea of yeah, these like philosophers or or whatever you know known throughout history, like I was talking about is you have to have a certain element of um you know practice like uh, i really like this that you know yogi Berrick quote about uh in theory uh practice and theory are the same and in practice they're not right and that's <laughs> that kind of describes a lot like satoshi could have had all these genius ideas but one of the things that i think people misunderstand who haven't looked into it or who haven't uh thought about it enough or a lot of these people who get caught up in the BDC laser eyes and so on is that Satoshi was first of all an engineer he was you know separately sort of a you know a, a economics uh, kind of contributor and uh, you know a, a bit of a philosopher and a bit of a political activist 
um maybe a bit of a you know cypherpunk you know opsec expert all those kind of things but the the foundation of it is the engineering because if he hadn't been able to build it it wouldn't have produced what it is and the choices that he made were all very deliberate and very you know genius level things how well the design has held up in the face of extreme pressure and an attack you know yeah i think he i looked at his code like i looked at the very first version he released publicly just to understand the man because i've been working in c plus plus like 20 years and you can get an idea of how someone thinks based on their the way their code is structured and the way it's organized and just just the way they see the world and how how thoughtful they are and he was an extremely thoughtful person and he's extremely experienced i would say um and just thoughtful like very i would say he's like a genius man like you know obviously he is a genius because he created something that's revolutionary and that for me that's the proof is in the pudding if you've done that <laughs> you're you have something <laughs> you have an insight but i think he was one of these rare types of people that could just integrate a bunch of knowledge and is very thoughtful very thoughtful like very forward looking extremely thoughtful okay um i would love to have met him man like i don't know I think everyone. Yeah, my, would theory, have. <laughs> my theory is he must be dead. He must be deceased, right? He must have passed from this world because everyone would love to have met him. Of course, <laughs> he must have because I can't imagine him being quiet this whole time. You know, <laughs> but maybe you know, maybe he's afraid. I don't know if he is out there, but maybe he just wants to keep my, the anonymous thing. And <laughs> who knows? But he's a fascinating person. I really think. He, yeah, mine too. Yeah. It's it's just too. Just the whole way it went down. Like he sort of excused himself from the whole thing. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was terminally ill. I don't know. I'm not sure if he was Hal Finney because Hal Finney, I looked at Hal Finney's code. He's more of a C programmer. Like it's hard for me to imagine. They're like kind of different kinds of programmers. Like they think differently, but it could have been Hal Finney. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, Hal Finney did die of a chronic disease like around the time Satoshi disappeared. So, <laughs> you know, there's that. <laughs> Hal Finney was like well, the only yeah, person well... really to use Bitcoin initially and support it. And there's that, you know, <laughs> there's that Dorian Nakamoto thing where, you know, you know, the story of Dorian Nakamoto yeah. lived like two blocks away from Hal Finney. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. There's that, <laughs> you know, could all be a coincidence. Could all be not, I don't know. <laughs> So yeah. we don't, you know, it's very rare that we would get somebody on this show, although we probably have had one or two, but I don't know that we had any examples of anybody that has read the original source code. I think I had downloaded, maybe I had a very quick look at it, but I'm definitely not a C++ or a C programmer or anything like that. So this is a bit of a unique opportunity uh, for me and for the listeners. So from looking at that source code, do you have like are you more inclined to say satoshi was an individual person do you really put any stock in the whole group theory or question. you think it was a one person came that's up an with excellent, it excellent question and i've opined on this voluntarily and i'm glad you're asking me because i have strong feelings about this because there is that theory that he might there might have been a group of people there are theories that he might have that it might have been like an intelligence agency and bitcoin is sort of a controlled opposition black flag something that went off the rails you know, there's all sorts of theorizing. And I think it's good that people theorize. I think theorizing about anything is super healthy, by the way. Like, I think a true intellectual, like, or a truly, someone who thinks deeply, like, needs to theorize about all possibilities, like Sherlock Holmes, you know, like, eliminate, you know, the impossible and or whatever, eliminate the improbable. I don't know whatever that quote is, but, <laughs> you know, Sherlock Holmes would do this, right? He would examine every single theory. Um, my personal belief is the code itself and just that he makes some kinds of mistakes and he'll make like little design decisions that are strange that are his, it feels like one single person worked on it. It feels like one single person worked on this as his, like his pet passion project, a, a one very gifted and talented person with a ton of experience. It's just, there's one coding style. There's one style of errors maybe, or one bias in the way he sees things. That's like one person. 
um i really i just think it was just one guy it's like that story of the genius working by himself and coming up with a brilliant idea and a brilliant invention I, it really feels that way just looking at the code like honestly like you know i don't know <laughs> it's hard to explain but it yeah my personal opinion is it was one guy it wasn't a group uh, it wasn't like a cia like an essay whatever <laughs> whatever that theory is my personal just from the code if it if it was an essay or CIA, they did a good job of making it look like one guy did it so <laughs> i don't know it wasn't craig Wright, for instance like because like i can't code yes <laughs> uh, people people love these kind of one and that's part of the the beauty of bitcoin is the the story the narrative right the anonymous genius code people love that that story like for instance with you know like facebook or with you know mark zuckerberg with elon musk or with steve jobs you know these uh figures that can kind of come across as this oh this genius you know and in reality then they had a whole team of people around them and there was a whole this that and the other that that happened so something like bitcoin is even more improbable in that sense when you say very experienced you have again my my uh opinion is that yeah satoshi is dead now and at the time they released bitcoin if i had to guess i would have said uh that satoshi was either probably early 30s maybe like some kind of you know late 20s or early 30s some kind of um you know uh like a phd you know student or something like that and the reason that i think that is that doesn't necessarily preclude being very experienced at code and that's something that i think a lot of people might sort of misunderstand is that there's not tons of them in the world but there are plenty of you know people who do grow up very deep on on coding and they get obsessed with it when they're you know a teenager or whatever and so by the time you're if you're sort of a lifetime hacker you know by the time you're in your late 20s especially if you're just self-taught and you've built a lot of stuff by experimentation or whatever you can actually be very very good and very very experienced in a way that in another field like medicine or something you know you would have to be in your 50s to have seen enough stuff and to have you know be involved in that so you say satoshi was very experienced but do you think that necessarily means they were sort of old because that's part of the evidence for someone like adam back right is that he would have at least been already older, you know yeah. into his 40s or whatever yeah yeah, no, yeah, and like you're saying, you could, coders, it, it comes at varying speeds, right? How, you know, you can gain a, a significant amount of experience in five years, or you can spend 15 years and not, for some reason, just be kind of a, not very good at coding or not very good at producing large software by yourself. It really depends. Like, it doesn't mean, it doesn't preclude him even being 29 years old or 27. Like, what I mean is that he'd spent a lot of time writing software before. That's what it feels like to me, looking at his code. It's someone who's written, I, I, I feel like it's someone, and this is an opinion, obviously, but I feel like it's someone who's written an application for Windows at least once from the ground up, you know, complete with GUI, like it runs, it has to do stuff, you know, it has to be reliable. Um, just a lot of the little decisions he made, you know, it's just hard to explain. Uh, it feels like someone who's written software from the ground up before a few times, because he's made all the mistakes, like, because his design decisions try to avoid certain kinds of mistakes that noobs make, that newbie programmers would make, naively, just, you know, trying to get things done quickly. Um so but he could have been 29 he could have been 35 you know he could have been, it doesn't it doesn't prove that he's he was 45 for instance um you know he yeah. could have been a young guy relatively but probably probably not younger than yeah that's right probably not like you know because i think that the minimum age range would have to be to me at least 25 because his rights in such an academic style and I, unless you had a theory that the the 
the code was written by one person and then the you know the white paper and the forum post or something was written by another but i don't believe that either i think it all ties together yeah i think it was one guy i don't know you never know man like some people are really good at being anonymous and it and it could have been a group you know i i don't i have no proof right it's just a feeling like it's like what makes more sense and because if you look at the emails like it's just a bunch of guys that are in this esoteric field of like cypherpunk crypto community you know, PGP obsessed, <laughs> like it, it isn't a, you know, it's not like right now, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is an international phenomenon. And it's like trillions of dollars in it. But this was just a bunch of guys in like this niche, like interest group. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it really feels like it was one guy. And um, what was I going to say? What were you, sorry, I sort of got <laughs> deviated. Story about it. Well, you got to have to be at least an actor. Like Satoshi couldn't have been 12 years old or 18 yeah. because it, just wouldn't just, yeah, have his, the academic it, background and plus also if you notice like in his and it could just be his personality some people are like this when they're young he's very he was very like diplomatic and like very able to accept criticism and not get angry or not have fights with people like he didn't like rage on people even when they were being jerks to him and that to me you, not always because some young people are like this but to me that shows a bit of patience which comes a bit later like in your late 20s maybe if you're lucky <laughs> um so just from his personality, but that's just a guess. And but yeah, the fact that he was he must have been somewhat familiar with academic stuff because just your average programmer that got out of school and started working wouldn't know to write a white paper. Even wouldn't like that wouldn't be yes. his thing. Like the fact that like his one of his first impulses was to write a white paper, it shows some academic yeah. background. But also the quality of the software shows that even if he was academic, he would have he had produced some commercial software. Maybe I'm guessing. Like for Windows, you know, it seems like he was a Windows programmer. Like the first version was for Windows. Of course, Windows is the most widely used platform um, back then. Um, but, you know, it's still kind of, well, it depends <laughs> for who, but um, <laughs> I think actually Mac OS overtook it. But yeah, anyway, yeah, go on. <laughs> um, That's super interesting. Yeah, anyway, anyway we, we, we... <laughs> these are my subjective opinions as a developer. Like, I feel like I can relate to him, right? I can relate to my imagination, my imaginary image of him. So <laughs> a little bit, but. <laughs> yeah 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 well we don't we don't really you know it's very rare that there's very few people in the world that uh would be as as deep as you you know maybe even none that uh on all this having read the satoshi post and the source code and having built a ton of uh bitcoin you know yourself so it's just fascinating to hear those insights and i think at least for me there's a certain element that you know people come up with these theories of oh it was a group or it could have been anyone or, or whatever but i think that's sort of ignoring the the reality that it was most likely you know an, an american or british you know or commonwealth country kind of kind of person from you know uh, between the ages of 25 and 45 and you know had obviously all the interest in cryptography and stuff like you know chant like the that's that's a very niche community of people and they all fit like a certain archetype at a certain you know to a certain degree so as unlikely as bitcoin was i think it was even less likely that it was this big conglomeration i can i can believe the sole genius myth basically is is what i'm saying so it's interesting to see that you have that that same instinct and i think a lot of people who are deep on bitcoin tend to agree with that uh, i think it's easier to believe in a you know a government operation or something like that if you're less of a coder if you're just more of a if you're more of an economist type or more of a um 
you know political person or whatever the reason that you got involved in bitcoin if you have that but not the not the coding fundamentals you're more likely to think oh no but it could have just been this collaboration or something but yeah i don't know code, code is like the sole code of myth because we spend so much time yeah. grinding it out at night on our own you know you can you can see that happening for someone basically yeah yeah all right <laughs> I don't know. Final thoughts on Satoshi? We can't. We can't <laughs> do our Satoshi podcast. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he was a great man, and I, you know, I think it's it's important to have great individuals like this in in our you know cryptocurrency as a culture. And it all started with Bitcoin, and it all started with Satoshi. And it's important to have that. I think the principles that you know that are laid down in, in something like a white paper, you know, you can think of as like a constitution. You know, but it doesn't mean it has to stay set in stone. But it's if you're going to change it, like do it. You know with thought, with forethought. And I think it, it, he's an important figure and the white paper is an important document. And it's like a cultural, you know, he, he's an important, you know, it's I'm important sure. to have these types of things because they give, you know, they give the mind, they stimulate the imagination. They give us principles upon which we should all agree, you know, just because there's just one guy who had these principles and he wrote a document and we sort of, we all got into it, understanding what, what the contract was. <laughs> and so it's good. It's good to look back at that and, and understand it because I think it gives context to everything. So yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have to do a podcast episode, which would be, I don't know, get a bunch of people on and have a, have a debate of different, <laughs> different theories of Satoshi or people can bring out their, evidence or, or whatever you know who who knows who knows yeah it would be totally. a ton of fun not, not what we've got time for today but uh maybe yeah, yeah. Some, something like that would be a, a cool uh bonus stream like a christmas stream or something sometimes so maybe we'll think about that but today we've got yes. some other you know yeah, good news absolutely. that we've got to crack on with is that we're back in the bull market so uh today yeah, awesome. or, <laughs> I, you know <laughs> questionable maybe maybe we are or maybe we aren't but for the first time in quite a while the entire crypto market including bitcoin cash has had a pretty good few days uh with significant rises so bitcoin cash today is 125 dollars and 83 cents usd which is quite a long way that's more than like a 30 percent gain since the previous episode uh one BTC buys 166.4 Bitcoin Cash. So BCH has been on the rise in the ratio there just a touch. And one Ethereum uh, buys 12.2 BCH. So that's basically flat since last time. So speaking of the markets and the cryptocurrencies, give us your sort of financial perspective. Do you invest in a bunch of coins? Do you just invest in BCH? Do you have uh, ways to deal with the volatility how do you interact with with crypto as a, a financial tool? Um, I so over the past couple of years, I've been sort of just BCH only as far as investments go. Um, and it was sort of a philosophical decision when I became um or like a conflicts of interest type of thing. When I became one of the developers uh, for Bitcoin Cash Node uh, in twenty twenty. I just I had to I felt like it was my obligation to divest myself of other coins, um, and I did that. I sold them all, like other stuff that I had, and um, I have BCH only, hold it only, and it's it's sort of I feel like I should just you know if anyone's going to hold only BCH, it should be someone like me that's like working on the node software that has a lot of skin, you know some skin in the game, where I don't want there to be a bug and then like you know it's like super bad press and then it lose like sixty percent of my holdings or. Um, that and I got 
I sort of had some anonymous uh, people donate BCH to me to support my development efforts. And so I've kept that money. I haven't spent it. And so I've accumulated a bit of a stash in BCH. Um, and then I also get paid in, in BCH. Um, Bitcoin Cash Note is, is funded. And I, you know, I get, based on the amount of work I do, I get money, BCH directly. <laughs> and so some, some portion of it I'll save and some portion of it I'll locate to spending, like pay my rent and stuff. I have to convert to fiat, obviously. My, my landlady doesn't want to accept crypt cryptocurrency. She's 74 years old. <laughs> she doesn't want to deal with all that stuff. <laughs> she just wants, cat, you know, USD. So, <laughs> so um, but yeah, I, I don't hold anything else but BCH. Um, oh, and or, I did hold some, some smart BCH tokens for a while, but then I sold some of them. You know, now of course, smart BCH is a little bit uh, is wrecked. <laughs> of trouble. Yeah, it's wrecked. Yeah, so to put it, yeah, politely, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was a philosophical issue. I was like, you know, like you know, and I, I don't think you should necessarily do what I'm do, doing. It's good to di diver diversify, but as far as crypto holdings go, I felt like morally, like philosophically, it was important for me just to hold this coin, just you know, just have all my you know my skin in this game, not have any sort of conflict of interest ever. Not that there would be much of one, you know, even if I held Ethereum or something, but I don't know. That was sort of <laughs> mm -hmm. interesting. Well, because I'm kind of, I'm kind of the same, right? Like at now, uh, you know, I have some fiat and then BCH and then I, I did the same thing you did where I thought, look, I, I don't, why should I be, if I'm going to be on this show promoting Bitcoin Cash is going to be the global reserve currency. Do I really believe that? Yes. Well then what would be the rational decision you would make? under that premise you could just get a bunch of bch that's what i did and uh obviously i i do have a bit i've said before on the show i have a tiny bit of ethereum i have a little bit of monero there's kind of a part of me that maybe wants to you know pick up a little bit of Litecoin, or just a couple of, a, a little bit just because sometimes bch is just not the one having a good week and it feels nice to at least have something yeah, in the we've grains, taken a bit but... of a beating as far as uh yeah <laughs> investor enthusiasm i mean we had so many hard forks and so much so much you know disruption and uh, it's been it's been rough so yeah if, if you're gonna hold like an you know accumulate like yeah i don't know <laughs> i can see there's, people there's certainly some diversification yeah uh, yeah i can see you know definitely you know investment investment is, is is an important skill you know i don't necessarily i'm a developer i don't necessarily have investment skills Although some, I've been yes. in this market long enough that I can sometimes feel like I can predict what's going to happen sometimes, but of course there's bias in that. Give right? us a prediction then. What's what's your prediction? Oh man, next, I, I next don't want to. Oh, BCH is going to move to $60,000, of course, like <laughs> against anything else. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like, so it feels like this might just be like false, false alarm bull, you know, bull run, right? Like, but we did have yeah. like such huge price movement in one day. It's weird. But then again, we, we may have had the fact that FTX exploded that like crashed things and so we might just be coming back to a little bit of a mean returning to the mean you know there's always a panic when some bad news hits and then people oversell and then there's a, a little bit of a return to the mean where it would have been had the bad thing not happened right people yeah, recover I, from the I, panic and want to buy back in um I so it might just be that now and then we'll just ride this for a while i don't know i have no idea man <laughs> uh yeah, I mean the stock market's so bad. Think... Like, why would you invest in? You know, maybe some people are going back to cryptocurrency because the stock market's like so nuked. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think everybody's getting very excited about 
us being back in a bull market. That's why I've titled this slide is because as soon as we had two days of just rises, suddenly everybody, <laughs> crypto Twitter, oh, the bears yeah. are dead. It's the bull market. <laughs> we told you guys we're going to the moon, blah, blah, blah. And some of that is ironic, but a lot of it just feels like genuinely people are so starved for some, obviously in Bitcoin Cash specifically, but I, I, I saw this across all crypto community. It wasn't just Bitcoin Cash. Everybody else, the maxis, they want to believe that they're, <laughs> you know, digital gold is going to be you know crushing the financial markets again and just we it would be too early by the four year cycle we we should be in for another year of just grinding across sideways you know and then maybe in mid to late 2024 as the halving is coming up that should be when the hype is starting so it feels way too early so maybe and the fact everybody got so excited they haven't been so drained of enthusiasm sort of makes me feel like maybe we're not going to just going to take off and rock it up. But on the other hand, I do feel that there is going to be some divergence from the, the kind of standard cycles, because really to me, the, the cycle is just a, a psychological overlay of the rising adoption. And at a certain point, uh, the adoption part is going to take over from the the halving and the booms and the busts and then things will be a bit of a random walk but they will just be kind of rapidly on the rise as fiat currencies start totally collapsing i went maybe not quite there yet but maybe we're seeing the early early signs of that you know it's like they're racing to their precipice on that and collapsing the feet much of inflation's up like what the hell did i don't know it's crazy man <laughs> and it, it, i don't know it, it, it could get old to side topic on this like but it's just it's strange we're living in strange times as far as fiat goes so yeah it's an interesting time for, for cryptocurrency it's an opportunity for cryptocurrency and you know there's always yeah. these rumors about cd cbdc's right and uh and sort of you know they they have this like what dream the banks the, of like a really centralized thing where they can censor you completely if they don't like you <laughs> so this is this is going to be an interesting time this is the real fight i think if they actually try to do that because to sidestep that, you're gonna need other stuff. You're gonna need cryptocurrency. You're gonna need <laughs> some other digital way to get. Yeah, yeah. It... Are we winning? In your in your opinion, like if let's say if the CBDCs in the next what one to five years, CBDCs start start rolling out. I've got two questions for you. One is like, are, are we are we gonna win? Like, and two is how um or are we prepared to win basically are we in a in a good position and then secondly is how good is the rollout of cbdc is going to be because there's certainly yeah, some yeah. world where it just it's is quiet and it drops and it's bam or is it a disaster from the government side it depends like so the government has been so bad about everything they've done lately uh <laughs> you know which is not surprising but uh it depends how they do it, because I feel like one thing they may do is overplay their hand with uh, with it and get people spooked. Like, they may start doing crazy stuff, like you need to be vaccinated for COVID-19, or otherwise, you know, you can't, you know, or whatever, like carbon footprint, maybe that'll be the next thing. Like, you can't leave. If they start doing the social control stuff along with the CBDC at the same time, uh, I think that's going to be create a black market immediately, where people just, black market meaning just circumvent the mainstream financials like whatever's going on like i don't want to you know i want to go buy like potatoes from this person 20 miles away like <laughs> you know <laughs> screw you like <laughs> i'm not going to listen to your 15 mile radius thing you know i mean they're already like you can see the stuff that they're trying to do with like the, the one the 15 minute city or whatever where they're trying to like figure out a way to like just control people's economic and everything activity 
And if that if they if they bungle that and rush it, which I feel like they might because they're retarded, uh, then it's going to create like so much you know, demand for a black market. Or by black market, I mean just systems outside alternatives, of alternatives. Yeah, yeah, alternatives. Yeah, alternatives where people are just like, listen, I want to sell you some stuff. Like, you know, give me Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> you know, I, I grow like tomatoes. Uh, <laughs> you know, give me some Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll just give it to you. Like, you don't. We don't have to worry about this. Like these central bankers. Are we so in that a good is an position? Uh, is Bitcoin Cash? Yes, but we yeah. have some technical challenges. Like, we have to um, get. Um, I think we need to get more hype around like just uh, like custodial like personal custody of wallets like get people using really nice like a really nice ios app or something like get the wallet side just much sweeter and much you know like bitcoin.com had a good wallet for a while i haven't used their wallet in a couple of years, in a couple of months so i don't know if they're still maintaining it um i feel like there's some challenges just on the software side because i'm a software guy like just to get like a nice like you know like a twitter level user experience you know where like the twitter app works really well right so <laughs> with your with your wallet that everyone's using and have it be self custody not have it be censorable so that you don't get attacked by like whatever kyc craziness whatever they try to do um so i feel like there are some challenges like but i feel like there's time too like I, you know i work on wallet software too i work on electron cash but that's sort of a like a more of a, a geeky wallet like it's just like the swiss army knife of wallets it's a very low-level wallet. Like I feel like a, just a more user-friendly wallet experience is needed, and so that would help. Uh, we're and we have like scalability stuff that we need to do for Bitcoin Cash, where we can, if we truly got like, um, you know, hundred thousand transactions every ten minutes or something, um, where we can do that and not worry about um, like some people being pushed out of being able to run nodes. You know, like where you could do that on low-end hardware. Uh, but we're ready. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're poised. Like uh, Bitcoin Cash code is very efficient. And like our design, like we, we got rid of a bunch of cruft from core. They had a bunch of stuff, like the way their mempool works. It was all about fees, optimization. And so it was really slow. They had something called a quadratic, like O and squared quadratic uh, performance problems in their mempool. They couldn't really handle high capacity. Like we, you know, we threw away all that code. We wrote it, got it all really fast, lean and mean. Like we're constantly working on lean and mean. Like that's the philosophy, uh, at least a Bitcoin Cash node. Um, which is the node that a lot of people are running um, and the miners are running. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're prepared. If, if we need more adoption, we can handle it. We can handle a lot of scale. I mean, we can handle like, <laughs> at least like easily, um, you know, in terms of capacity and they're like, they're, you know, but we need to do more. Like we need to get to 10,000 transactions a second or something like this. And that, that needs engineering. Like that needs work on the node side. Um, but yeah. I feel, I feel like I'm a tech, you know, I'm a technical guy, like I'm a programmer, right? So like, <laughs> I'm gonna say, yeah, the software, the software is ready for a lot more, a lot more volume, a lot more than we get, yeah, now, like a thousand more, a thousand times more, a hundred times more, maybe a thousand times more. Yeah, and I think that's really key that people are. Well, one of the things I like about Bitcoin, <laughs> among everything in the world, <laughs> one of the things I like about Bitcoin Cash is how strong the protocol level engineering is and the fundamental base layer of the infrastructure. And this might not be easy for a lot of people to see a lot of you know outside investors or who's buying into dogecoin on robin hood or, or whatever but the fact of the matter is uh with bitcoin cash there's so much uh heavy work and strong engineering that has been put in on those base layers so as the other parts of it start to build up over time then they they won't come to a crashing halt because of the technicals right which is what we've seen in kind of other other coins like as bitcoin was getting hype obviously bdc capped the block size limit, which they didn't have to do but they did it and then that kind of the technical side and the rising fees and the payment problems then 
crashed the adoption and the momentum. And then Ethereum had the same thing, but for a different reason uh, in the way that their you know, uh, community was getting hyped. Loads of developers were flooding in. Everything was starting to kick off, a lot of excitement. A lot of, and then once again, technical issues got to a certain point, fees rose, and then people started looking to alternatives. And even like with Dogecoin, when they got hype on Robinhood, then eventually their fees got up to 50 cents and yada, yada, and the hype kind of died off. And once once the ball gets rolling, you want to keep it rolling as much as possible. And so in that sense, it's both very important that we have the infrastructure already ready for that. And also that even if we are 100x or 1000x ahead of where we need to be, we still need to keep uh, pushing forward on that in the background. It doesn't need to be front and center, but in the background, because once things go exponential, you know, you're going to, your time frame to, to kick the can further down the road is going to rapidly shrink. So I, I really like that we have this mentality in our, in our community. And obviously the software layer is doing fine. And like you said, I think the problem mostly that we need to attack is not, well, maybe not you specifically, you need to stay working on the software, but for the community at large is to work on like some more wallets and slicker UIs and stuff like that. And then you have sort of the marketing and promotion level and also the merchant adoption networks and and those kind of things and the app layer as well so all of those things which have been getting more and more focused recently it's been uh very encouraging to see across the ecosystem i don't know if you have any thoughts on that how you see the sort of i don't know even if you see it that way i see it as kind of like layers and you start it with the protocol layer and then you have the wallet layer you know the app the wallet layer and then the app layer and then the merchant adoption and then marketing and promotion and kind of like stacked up like that and how it definitely each... is layered it definitely is layered yeah because you know fundamentally like everything talks back to the blockchain which is like a, a very basic level software layer and then yeah it all goes back to the blockchain so you know there are layers yeah it's totally way to see it yeah absolutely um yeah you know are we doing okay where in bear cycles like, people you tend to them? build and then <laughs> and then the and then the, the bull cycle comes and things get crazy the scammers show up <laughs> things get kind of confusing <laughs> but we're you know we know we're in a bear cycle when we're building so uh but yeah sorry um yeah, so what actually... do you what do you think uh, for the other layers how how are we doing there like if you just take off your software dev protocol hat for a second and let's say you had some free resources or you know to the community who's listening uh where where do you think we need to attract some more talent and get some more people attacking the problem I, I'm not the best person to ask about this, but I'm going to say my impression subjectively, um, and I'm not the best person. I think other people, uh, you probably would even know better than me, actually, uh, absolutely. But, um, you know, you asked me, so I'll answer. It feels like merchant, like merchants, like having a good, I don't know, like a POS system that can do crypto, that can do Bitcoin Cash. Having merchants, like, just have an easy way to integrate Bitcoin. Like, if I want to go to my cafe here in Austin, I'm in Austin, Texas, Um uh, having like a merchant be like ah, i could add this in it and have it be really easy for them to add headache free and if they want to get ha having that side like just having a, a compelling easy way for merchants to to add bitcoin cash um which and i don't know if that actually exists or if not or what the challenges there are um just um my the last time i really looked into it was like a year and a half ago and it seemed like it was a little bit difficult to get like to get merchants to have integrate that into their existing systems, but I don't know what progress has been made there. Like, like the dream would be just, Oh, I can just add Bitcoin cash. And like, you sort of make a phone call or something, or you sort of download something. And then it <laughs> somehow you can just automatically accept Bitcoin cash really, really, really easily. Like <laughs> zero hassle. That would be the dream. All right. On that, on that merchant stuff, 
I mean, well, there are tools and there are people working on that. I was just in Townsville, and I think I'll probably talk about that on the on the next episode or the or the one after, sort of what I found there. But things are moving in the right direction. But yeah, definitely, it's not all all super slick and everything. So to stick on the on the BCHN uh, topic, then, so give me a rundown of for the listeners for those who don't know anything about it. Explain what is BCHN, how did it get started, who's involved how's it funded and yeah what does it do in the ecosystem okay um so bchn basically um so you had like satoshi's code right and that was bitcoin that was the bitcoin and then that sort of became bitcoin core just a retitling of the same code base that people have been working on um and bchn is in the family of node software it's a descendant of it's basically a fork of bitcoin core starting in uh August for, you know, August or whatever, I guess, June of 2017, which is when people decided we should fork off in Bitcoin. And so it's a descendant of Bitcoin core. It's the same code base, but it's evolved in a different direction, sort of like the way two organisms in a, in a you know, two species can <laughs> have a common ancestor. So we have a common ancestor with Bitcoin core. A lot of the code looks a lot of, lot, looks the same. Uh, and it was forked initially into Bitcoin ABC, which was uh, headed by Amri Sachet. Uh, and the first two people working with him on that were me, myself, and uh, Free Trader. And we, uh, before the, the August 1st fork happened, we worked on Bitcoin ABC to get it all ready. We, we, we tore out SegWit. Uh, we changed a bunch of things. To, um, you know, we got rid of the block size limit. <laughs> it was eight megabytes initially, I believe. Or was it two? No, it was eight. It was eight. Uh, as a block size limit, because that was the, the point of contention. We're like, listen, we can't handle the capacity. Like, uh, and back in 2017, the mempool had like 100,000 transactions in it constantly. Like, it just could not handle the, like, there was, you know, it was a boom time. Like, Bitcoin had gone to like $4,000 a coin, which was unheard of. It had been like $600, you know, previous to that. And, and there was just so much on chain activity. And, um, and so, yeah, we, for and so it's a descendant of that, like, of Bitcoin, of Bitcoin Core, which was forked in, uh, in June, June or July, June 2017. Um, became Bitcoin ABC, and then that was headed by Amri Sachet. And the, 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 basically, everybody, like all the miners, wanted to run the same client because they were worried about getting orphaned if there was like some weird bug. Because a lot of some of the miners were running BU at one point, and that had a bug, and they got spooked. And so miners decided that yeah, we just want to run the same client. So they're all running Bitcoin ABC, which was the Bitcoin Cash, like, like sort of the default client that everybody should be running um, from 2017 onward until 2020. And then in 2020, there was a, a civil war kind of in Bitcoin Cash where Amri Sachet did some stuff that the community wasn't happy about and they wanted to, we wanted to kick him out basically. <laughs> and so we managed to do that. And we took the Bitcoin ABC code as it was then in February of 2020 and we forked it again to create another project called Bitcoin Cash Node, which is a descendant of Bitcoin ABC, but continued to evolve in its own direction. The Bitcoin ABC software became the eCash coin they forked off of the Bitcoin Cash network because they wanted they wanted to implement basically a developer tax, an eight percent developer tax, and so the Bitcoin Cash community didn't agree with that because it seemed like he just sprung it on everybody at the eleventh hour, and was being kind of toxic about it, and and so you know he went off and got his own coin, eCash, and uh, that's the Bitcoin ABC client, also descendant of Core, and then Bitcoin Cash Node, which is descendant of Bitcoin ABC, also descendant of Bitcoin Core, is the one that a lot of people are using now, the miners especially on Bitcoin Cash. And it's the software. What is Node software? It's the software that runs the network. It runs the transactions. The miners do proof of work using that software. 
and it validates all the consensus rules and makes sure nobody's getting their money still, you know, created out of thin air or anything like this. <laughs> you know, it's 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 the software. It's like, and it, and it's a descendant directly of Satoshi's uh, original work, which is basically also what Core is. Core is just a descendant of Satoshi's. Um, and that's that's the reason why I went back to look at Satoshi's original code because I'm working on the actual code that is the evolution of what he originally did, and I wanted to sort of just see the history of it, and sort of you get a lot of insight doing that into into the modern design, you know, based on what he did. And yeah, so that's what Bitcoin Cash Node is. It's the node software, and it has a lineage with Bitcoin Core, and it shares a lot of the same code, and, and you know, that's that's what it is. <laughs> uh, also, and so yeah, so how's it funded? Or, or, you asked a bunch of questions. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Um, we uh, received community funding in, in 2020 uh, from a, some some anonymous donors, some miners. Back when, so uh, Amri Sachet was trying to do his thing where he was going to grab an 8% tax uh, off of the blockchain, off of the Coinbase reward. He was just going to get like 8% of, like the miner reward would be like, you know, whatever, 5.75 DCH. And then he'd get like 1.25 or something. I don't know, <laughs> or whatever it ends up being. Um you know, he just inserted that as a consensus rule. And so the miners, a lot of people were upset about that. And so some of the miners that were upset about that donated a, a significant amount of BCH to the Bitcoin Cash Node. I mean, we'd, for, we'd formed the project, but we wouldn't have any funding. We were just like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to offer alternative software that doesn't have this consensus rule. Please run it. And then some miners were like, oh, that's great. Uh, let's also give you some money so you don't disappear tomorrow. <laughs> and so we got a bunch of money back then. Uh, and we're still spending that money. Like, um, it was like uh, several thousand BCH. Where were we? No, no, uh, go on. So you got you got several thousand BCH from the the miners who essentially wanted to say they. So clearly they were politically opposed, kind of to Amori's uh, idea, and so then it made it uh, like um, not profitable exactly, but it was a a rational economic thing to do to fund you because uh, that was their options, right? Either they go with you, in which case if you die then they are screwed as well so it, it's in there and this is sort of comes to the economics of of bitcoin and how the whole system plays into it that even though the miners are the only ones getting paid by the protocol directly they then have an incentive to kind of fund software developers and then the ecosystem kind of develops around that yeah 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 and you know the miners some of them are very idealistic i mean they were original bitcoin people you know there were people that are running bitcoin since 2010 since 2009 you know they started mining on their laptops and now they some of them are millionaires <laughs> now. They have like huge operations, like multi-floor, multi, like huge, you know, like this huge warehouse. And so they really believe, like it, it felt like a betrayal for them that someone wanted to sort of arbitrarily, hey, let's insert a tax and like I get like 8% of all the Coinbase awards from now on. Um, that sort of was just offensive to their sensibilities. So they're like, yeah, let's, you know, let's vote with our feet. Let's, you know, we will run different software. Let's vote with our hash power. And let's also like vote with some money that we have because we have stake in this coin. We have stake in Bitcoin Cash. Like we believe in it. You know, we some of us have Bitcoin Cash as holdings. Like, uh, you know, we don't want this coin to just do something crazy. So yeah, let's give us some of our holdings to these to these developers. At least they seem like good guys, and they seem like they're fighting the good fight. They, you know, it's not a good look for Bitcoin to just have have a tax in there like for the developers for all time. It doesn't seem you know there's ways to do that like Zcash has a way to fund development like there's ways to do that intelligently and you, know, you have a governance model but it's not just throwing it in there like at the 11th hour it's not <laughs> it doesn't seem you know it's not a good look it's not what Satoshi did you know it's not it seems just offensive right so <laughs> um yeah basically but yeah they voted with their they voted with their hash and they voted you know, the miners are really powerful man they they, they underutilize their power like <laughs> they're you know it's really about hash like they secure the chain 
but which is kind of cool like they have this like nuclear weapons of power but they don't use them you know they're you know it's like the they have nukes but they never launch them <laughs> like they don't reorg each other like it's like it's almost like miners don't reorg like you can do like hash war stuff like where you, you can reorg a like a nascent chain and they don't do that you know that's considered taboo because it's, it's just a bad look because you don't want to ruin the confidence in cryptocurrency by reorging chains just because you, you don't like that chain <laughs> so Miners are cool people, man, and it's good that they actually stay. You know, most of the time they stay out of stuff. Like they don't get involved. Like they just they, they figure the developers and the community knows how to run the coin because they have a lot of problems. They're worrying about just running their mining rigs and all the stuff that comes up with that. So, you know, they don't have idle hands, so they can't do the devil's work basically. So, <laughs> yeah, so, that's a little bit of a tirade, but yeah, yeah, that's basically what happened. Like the miners are kind of against it and they funded us. Like that's majority of our funding came from came from minor mining sources, I would say. And there were some private donors too, some some stakeholders that um yeah <laughs> okay no no this is fascinating <laughs> yeah yeah this is fascinating to hear right because the like you say the whole cryptocurrency as you know people sometimes say it's a, it's an experiment and it is in that we're we're breaking new historical ground here and like nobody knew what would happen if you had a chain split on on bitcoin in the first place before the first split like oh, yeah. people yeah, there was a lot of... knew that theoretically it was possible but there was no yeah. there's no evidence no scientific history nothing and then we did that and then especially with bitcoin cash obviously you then had the like the hash war with craig Wright. nobody knew what, <laughs> what was actually going to happen until it until sort of it did and then then you had the same thing with the political governance with with eCash and and stuff like that and part of the reason that i'm asking you these these questions is i want to you it, know one of the things i find most territory, uh, socially like technically yeah go on yeah sorry yeah you find most yeah well because uh one of the reasons i'm most uh interested in in bitcoin cash is because like you said the the nuclear option uh with the miners or then with the chain splitting is the the kind of the the community such as it is has the ultimate deciding say in that if they all if all the economic activity you know votes on one side or another or even any you know intransigent minority decides we're going to just stand our ground and do it our way they can always do that provided they have some developers and support from the community and yada yada right and so what i want to ask you is bitcoin cash is the only coin that has ever done this kind of change of uh development team essentially like three or four times you know from satoshi to then the bitcoin core or gavin and then the sort of bitcoin core people came into it and then it went on to the abc team including amori and now uh you know it's the bch n team running it so to me that signals confidence that if there was let's say uh, bchn or any that uh, anybody else started being uh dodgy and trying to do something that the community didn't like that once again they would be able to be sort of voted out in quotation marks and you know we could find some new de new developers uh which is are in short supply <laughs> overall right so do you think that's realistic if bchn started doing some you know uh i don't know not a tax but whatever thing they put in that everybody else didn't want do you have confidence that a new team would emerge which people need to remember is this is all individuals within a team so you can have even if a couple of people want to do one thing you can still kind of retain some of the previous developers who have experience and know how everything operates in creating a breakaway and then you get a few new people right yeah, you can. I mean, I'm a developer and sort of, um, I'll tell you that developers will tend to oversell their necessity. Like they're important and you need good developers. And especially if you want to develop new features that, that don't have any bugs, it's good to have developers that have worked in the code for a while. 
but the new developers will step up to the challenge, man. Like if you fire your current team completely, like if you as miners or you as a community decide, you know what, you guys are insane. We're not going to run your software anymore. We're going to go with this other guy who forked it off. He seems like a good guy. Um, he'll he'll step up to the challenge, especially if you throw some money at it. Like people, people can do a lot when it, when you know nature of course a vacuum, right? So we we fired Armory, right? And we're like, well, I guess it's us now, like. <laughs> You know, and I had to learn a whole bunch of stuff about the way the code works because there was a vacuum there. No one else knew. Like, Free Trader, I had to learn a, bu a bunch of new stuff, like all, all the people working on it. Um, you know, we had some experienced people that have been around since the beginning. We had Dagger, um, who's, uh, he's been around since Bitcoin XT. Like, he was working on stuff with Gavin even. Like, you know, we had Tom, uh, Tom from Flowey, Tom Zander. Like, he's been around. Um, we had a guy from from the, I don't know if you know, Bitprim, and then now it's Newthnode. He was contributing and he's seen everything like so we had really experienced people and we had young people that needed to learn like me because i was kind of young to the code base itself in, in a real deep sense like i, I can't say i was as experienced as dagger maybe initially um and so nature pours a vacuum and if you fire the developers and then the, the best thing you can do is like so if there's a development team of, of your node software and they're and you want to fire them and then you hire new guys and make sure that they're not going to like create bugs but like the worst that can happen is the chain doesn't add any new consensus rules and doesn't grow for like a year. Like it'll be like the same code. Like the code is running itself. The software runs itself. Like you don't, once the developers write the software and if it's working properly, like, you know, there isn't that much risk. You could just fire them and then have the chain sit there and do stuff for a year. Then hopefully a new team will be formed that um, that is is competent. I mean, the risk is that you might get some incompetent guys after, but if, if the current team is doing something so horrible and egregious that it, you know, it looks like incompetence or it looks like malice, which uh, that's what it felt like with what Armory was doing. The way, you know, I can understand why he needed funding and he wanted his incentives to be aligned with the chain. So he's like, why don't I just get funding from the chain? All of that makes sense. And other coins do that. There's nothing wrong with that philosophically. It's just the way he pulled it off seemed like malice. Like it was like, <laughs> this is capricious, man. <laughs> so if you're developers, like it's, you know, I'm a developer. I'm telling you, I, I work in Bitcoin Cash Node. That's the one that's installed everywhere. Like, and I'm telling you something against my own best interest. But if I ever do something screwed up, like fire me, like figure out a way, like fork it off. Don't let me do, don't let me be crazy, contradict me, you know, debate with me or fire me, like get another team in, get, raise some money, kick my ass out of there. Like, and that's that, you know, that should apply to everybody. I apply to all to politicians, like fire, you know, fire your politicians, <laughs> people like people in a position of semi-power and developers have a bit of power because they sort of understand the code and they can use their wizardry to like, to make people think that they're like magicians. Uh, people in a position of power need to have the flame under their butts that they can lose their position. And then that keeps them good. That keeps them like just sharp. If they don't have that, I, I you know, it's not good. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Bitcoin Cash literally, like, if you think of it from our point of view, like Core would say we're crazy. But if from our point of view, we fired Bitcoin Core, we had Omri and he was good for a while until he went crazy. We fired him, and now we have us. Hopefully, we won't go crazy. You know, hopefully, Bitcoin Cash won't go crazy. And then if we do, we fire us and keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's all I can say. Like that's that's my, from my point of view. Definitely, anybody that's being a jerk, like get rid of them in your life, like or in your, you know, if you can, <laughs> it's possible. It's sometimes I don't even think we would be able to fire Armory. Like I don't think we'd be able to do that. And then we managed to pull it off. Like it's possible. We'll just keep, you know, try. <laughs> don't go, don't go down not fighting at least. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's 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 super because that's to me that's that's so that's the only way that 
like if you see the for instance the bitcoin cash community as this group of people uh that all need to have a shared vision right but there's no what that vision can't sit in anybody one person's head and it essentially you know that's why the white paper and all that history and stuff is important or you know all the advocacy that we do with this show because the more and more and more people that, that have the actual idea not the implementation not the brand not, but the actual idea then the more and more really everyone can an idea can reconverge yeah. right like it's like a you know i think of it like a glass uh sculpture or something like that you know if you smash it how quickly will the pieces sort of reform okay it might not be exactly the same sculpture but the majority of the sculpture that was there has then reconverged onto the same thing and when i'm talking about the piece of the sculpture obviously i don't mean all um crypto people or anybody who's on any bitcoin for but the actual peer-to-peer -peer cash bitcoin that idea just becomes stronger and stronger over time as people are more and more able to just reconnect every time there's a problem that kind of emergent consensus and i think what you're saying is very heartening to hear right that you believe that if there was an, another need which i hope there won't be but if if there is that we'll be able to just go through that process again and again and each time there's just you're just chopping out the small little bit that's the problem and everybody else is just quickly reconvening onto the main thing and keeping the momentum going essentially yeah i mean we're we're a continuation of satoshi's experiment you know bitcoin cash i really feel this like that's the only one like you know it's the only one that's like you know in the top 100 or whatever the top 50 but you know we really are like we have a lot of the original people um in it and we we just like let's just do peer-to-peer -peer cash like permissionless peer-to-peer -peer cash uncensorable you know <laughs> let's just do that like you know lightning has all sorts of like problems with it man like the way what core is doing is just a disaster like what core did is they gave the bankers time like you notice how zelly and all that stuff appeared after that's the bankers being like hey we need like a faster payment thing for casual payments because the crypto what the hell people are gonna use crypto so I really believe this it sounds like conspiracy theory, but I, I, you know, there's that whole stuff with AXA, like funding Blockstream, which you might be, you know, maybe there's like a truth to that. Maybe the bankers are like, hey, let's like capture Bitcoin Core, keep it sort of hobbled. In the meantime, we'll like invest in it. So it becomes like, like just a friggin' asset, you know, <laughs> not cash. Like we are the actual cash. <laughs> we want to continue with that. Like that's really important. I mean, especially what's going on in the world right now, like with, with central bank digital currencies on the table where it's going to be insane. People are going to be looking for a way to sidestep that for sure. If that if they end up trying that, um, it, it's an interesting and exciting time. We're living in an exciting time. <laughs> uh, yes, for sure. And I think the Bitcoin Cash community is really healthy. Like, there's some really you know we have sort of a libert libertarian ethos. We're about free speech more than other communities, and we, um, you know, we're all about like being as personal sovereignty, personal responsibility, being an honest person. We don't like scammers. We've seen them like, you know, Craig Wright or whatever. <laughs> you know, sorry if you're into BSV, but uh, to anybody listening. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's a really good community. And we have a good process of, of getting changes through. Like the, the development team at Bitcoin Cash Store tries not to be, uh, we sort of let other people decide what consensus changes might be a good idea. And then we'll, we'll work with them. We'll, you know, like it's not going to be us deciding what, you know, what what should it be in consensus it, it's like the bitcoin cash research website and people discuss stuff there anyone can propose a change to the consensus rules and if they can get people excited about it um anybody like even non-technical people non-programmers um I, I feel like it's a really healthy community right now we've seen a lot like we've seen you know we've seen scammers we've seen it's like a crazy dictator armory we've seen craig wright who's a scammer we've seen 
you know, we've managed to shrug that off and can, can keep going and like still have a good team, have good development, have good technology. And, and a lot of the old people that, that are in Bitcoin Cash have been around in Bitcoin forever. Um, I really feel like the culture is excellent and, and the vision is there amongst a lot of the people. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is like, well, it is like that. If, if, if there's a culture and a vision, I feel like that's a lot. Like, and then, you know, there, there there's there's questions about governance. Like there's this guy, Justin Bonds, who writes stuff on Twitter and he talks about, uh, he's like, um, he talks about governance. He's into governance issues. And, you know, maybe that's some questions we can answer in the future about how to do governance in a more formalized way, because uh, it sort of is still kind of freewheeling. It's a little wild westy in the way all cryptos have this problem, not just Bitcoin cash, but um, yeah. (laughs) So I feel like I'm rambling now. Yeah, go on. (laughs) No, no, it's, it's great. This is great. This is great, great insights for, for people to, to get who are just as I would say sort of close to the metal, right? Of of what's actually going on at the base base layer. Jet asked in the chat, is the wild rest really a problem? And like to me, I like I like be. that there is Maybe. a bit of that. You need to have a bit of chaos. You need to have a bit of not confusion because it's like uh, you know, anarchy does not mean disorganized, right? Uh, or that 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 kind of thing. Decentralized does not mean disorganized, right? It's not the case that it just needs to be. Nobody knows what's going on, or there's no game plan, or there's no process or anything like that. But I truly ap- appreciate that one of the strengths of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general is is that it just plays by its own rules you know as we used to have in the intro uh andreas antonopoulos bitcoin is punk rock that's the yeah. that's the whole point <laughs> if you if you try and turn it into classical music bitcoin will <laughs> fail it's not in its dna in its in its reason to be or in its uh method of survival is it it keeps it anti-fragile if it is chaotic and resilient to like the what did satoshi say the network is you know strong in its unstructured simplicity or whatever it was that uh Uh you know just messages just get forwarded around hey (laughs) hopefully you can still hear us um so yeah we need to stay yeah yeah no uh fragility and you know the invention is there man like even if bitcoin cash loses its mind which i don't hope it don't think it will no not gonna would uh the the invention of bitcoin is there the invention of crypto like all the cryptos are based on bitcoin basically even ethereum kind of i mean it was originally a fork of bitcoin but then they evolved like completely australian internet struggling yeah like all the cryptocurrencies are basically derived from bitcoin even ethereum which has evolved separately is code wise now but it originally was derived you know the invention is there, like it should be Wild West. If you don't like it, fork and try something new because it should be a marketplace of ideas. And, and we have like bigger enemies, man. We have like the bankers and what they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's, it increasingly looks like some sort of authoritarian system that they're trying to, I don't think they'll be able to do it. I think they're, but uh, yeah, it is, you know, Wild West is good. Like to say to the commenter, I like the Wild West. I love Westerns. I wish I could live in the Wild West right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we do yeah. just virtually. The cyber yeah. wild west. Yeah, we're on the cyber so, wild west, and it's a good thing. We are the, we are punk rock. I think Bitcoin Cash is punk rock, man. Totally. It's got <laughs> Bitcoin a, Core is not punk rock, man. Way. They're like in bed with the bankers. No. So. <laughs> they're they're the punk rockers exactly. that sold out and are making like pop music. Well, something. I can't imagine any punk rocker that'd be willing to pay fifty dollars to to buy yeah. something like. Yeah. Yeah, like fuck that. Like yeah, yeah totally. Oops, sorry. <laughs> How are you gonna? You can swear, man. It's all good. Uh, yeah, that's all good. But yeah, who would? Yeah, it's all this punk rock, mate. You don't need to apologize. You just say what you gotta say. The way you gotta say it. Yeah, what uh, punk so rock would me... be like 
five, you know, fifty dollars or five dollars or whatever, and I gotta wait through, I gotta wait seven hours or maybe seven days to send, you know, money. buy a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, like it's what the hell is that about, man? That's insanity. It's no keep, way, dude. <laughs> to keep with the the punk rock analogy here, it's like yeah. some of the early like um, punk rock scene was like the more metal whether it was like thrash metal or power metal or whatever they were getting more and more successful at the time and so people actually had skills and they were charging for their shows and these punk guys were like i know four chords i'll charge five dollars and anyone (laughs) on the street can come and see me and it yeah it's this bch very much feels like we don't need all this extra shit get rid of it anyone can use it come on down come enjoy the time (laughs) and some of the best songs in the world are just four chords or whatever you know like the Ramones or something, you know, the, the total garage yeah. sound, but it's awesome. <laughs> so it's all, it's a lot of it is That's about right. the vision and the spirit behind it. And, but technologically we're good. I mean, I'm not saying we're, you know, we're more than four chords at Bitcoin cash note. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, tell me about cash tokens and now that's obviously there's a few different uh, chips in the works for the 2023 upgrade but i would say you know the the bulk of it the meat of it uh, is essentially this cash tokens upgrade so this is a bit of hype we've talked about it a bit on the show but for anybody who doesn't know uh this is going to be in may 2023 we're going to lock in this upgrade for allowing fungible and non-fungible token primitives so it's not just you can make tokens and send them around but the idea is that it actually embeds a lot more scripting power into the blockchain so that you can do things like for instance with a any hedge contract you might create a deal with somebody uh you know that you're going to get paid out ten dollars of bch in a week and you know that that's a lock-in but then now you can get a token back that lets you prove that you have that ten dollars so then maybe you could use that as a proof of reserves or perhaps you could have like a then a stable coin that was backed by any hedge contracts that's one of the example use cases i think of but there's hundreds of other things you can do with it you know state storage communication between contracts better scripting and decentralized apps all this sort of stuff. And you actually wrote, as far as I'm aware, a lot or maybe all of the implementation for BCHN for cash tokens. So can you explain (laughs) to the listeners, technically and non-technically, what what is cash tokens? How does it work? Why is it exciting? That's a, okay, how to begin. That's a lot, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So on the the financial side, on the business side or the use case side, you you pretty much covered it. Like it's, it's, it's this way for contracts to have better contracts, first of all, and have contracts communicate with each other. So you can start doing some interesting programmable money type of things where even stuff we haven't thought of. I mean, just blockchain games or it's it's a way to communicate between uh, between contracts um, and, and it's not very heavy. <laughs> um, we've, we've evolved the scripting language a bit, like actually the way contracts work, uh, the way they still work in Bitcoin Core is just insanely primitive and insanely horrible. We've evolved the scripting language uh, over the years uh, to a point where it, it can do even more now. Um, the basic idea is it's really simple. Um, it's really simple, but very powerful. Um, you can attach, so um, so a UTXO, maybe some people are familiar with what UTXO is and some people might not be. Um, a UTXO is just like a, 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 it's like a coin fragment. It's like, a, it's a little bit of money. So if you if someone sends you like five BCH, it might arrive as a as a single UTXO that has like a number five on it, <laughs> just the amount, or it might arrive as like six UTXOs, you know, that are each like varying amounts. And then, but that's like the fundamental unit of 
of Bitcoin is the UTXO, the unspent transaction output. Um, it's just a little fragment of money. It's the end of a transaction. It's like at a transaction, there's the inputs and there's the outputs. And the outputs are just hanging out there and then until you spend them. And so those are the UTXOs. Um, and the idea is you can, to a UTXO, we want to attach a little bit of state information, like state variables. And so that just makes it more interesting because now you the only state variables you really had was just amount, like Bitcoin cash amount. But now you can have other stuff on there too. And you can spend, you can split them up separately and recombine them. Um, and that could be used for tokens. For instance, you could send tokens via UTXOs or you can send messages to contracts or something like this. It, it unlocks a whole bunch of uh, possibilities, but the fundamental idea is, is devilishly simple. It's just take a UTXO and be able to add a little more metadata to it um, so that you can do interesting things. You can spend that in a different way or you can, you can just do more stuff with it. Um, you know, because otherwise the UTXO is basically just an amount. It's like a Bitcoin cash amount, you know, one variable. <laughs> now we have a couple more variables we add to it and then you could do more interesting things. Um, you know, it just opens up state possibilities. Basically, if you were to think about it as a programming system, you have more state possibilities. If there are more variables move, that can be tweaked, moved around and tweaked and, and um, yeah, I mean, and it also is a replacement for SLP. Um, which I don't know if some people, SLP sort of has seen a dwindling in adoption or, or use recently, and especially after Smart BCH appeared, a lot of the SLP stuff went over to Smart BCH. Um, uh, it's a replacement completely for SLP. So all of the stuff you could do on SLP, you could do on cash tokens, where you can have just tokens and you pass them around. You can have NFTs. Um, and this is done, cash tokens is natively like in the consensus rules. So if you see a cash token in a transaction, you know that the miner verified it and they know it's not a double spend, you know, you know, it's like a real token. The problem with SLP is it was all just metadata on the OP return stuff and the OP returns, which is not, it's not, it wasn't validated by miners. So someone could just forge a token and then you, you know, you wouldn't know if it's forged. You'd have to go back and like examine the whole chain of custody of that token to figure out if it was actually legit. And that's, that was called validation for SLP. And that was like horribly slow and it got slower in time. Like as each, as each, as a coin changed custody, like thousands of times, like the, you have to go back throughout the whole history of the coin to see it, <laughs> to see if it's like a valid coin that originally came from the genesis of the coin or not, or if it's someone just forged it. Um, and so cash tokens doesn't have that problem. Like if it appears on chain, um, it's uh, definitely legit. So it's just like BCH. Like if you see BCH on chain in a transaction, you know, it's legit. You don't have to go back the whole history to like Satoshi days to figure out <laughs> it has that property that's instantly validatable. So it's a complete replacement for SLP. Like all the SLP stuff can happen now in cash tokens, but it has a, a few additional properties where it can be used for smart contracts too. Uh, and that, that's going to be interesting use cases. People are going to have to come up with use cases for it. Since it's just really powerful primitives for passing state around in the UTXO. I hope I'm not being too, I get excited about this and I talk really quickly, but uh, <laughs> I, I, hope I'm, I hope that's a good overview where it's, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities for the challenge. And it's really, the, it's opt-in, like you don't have to use it. And the it's really lightweight. Like it's not like Ethereum. Ethereum there's a whole state machine. Like you can implement like super smart, uh, like you know Turing complete <laughs> algorithms in Ethereum. This is um this is very performant because it's using just the UTXO model and it doesn't have like a whole Turing machine running in it. So um, it's very lightweight. It's very lightweight and it opens up a lot of possibilities for programmable money. If uh, UTXO is aware of a state, like I'm thinking of. Uh... Like uh, sometimes handling state in either Flutter or React, for example, you need a context manager. Um, if the blockchain is like, is that the thing that provides context? 
Do you need to, like, if you're programming with cash tokens, do you need a context manager? Or do you just query the blockchain and be like, okay, this is the data. So we know we can do X, Y, Z things with it. Uh, that's like an interesting question. That's a good question. Uh, so it depends what programming tools people come up with. So the, the, the actual low level primitives are very primitive. They're just like, hey, I'm a token. I live here. I'm in this transaction. You okay. can sort of, you have that as like the scripting language has uh, these kinds of primitives. Like, hey, I live in this, you know, this is my token ID. This is my amount. I live in this TX ID. I'm at this, uh, you know, I'm in this position in the outputs. That, that's sort of all it sees. But even the fact that it can see its token ID, oh, and I have this extra NFT data here, maybe or maybe not. That's all that. That's all you get as a programmer. And I think people, I believe people are building tools on top of it. Like, so this is just the low-level stuff I worked on. This is just the blockchain consensus rule stuff. And then on top of that, you can build uh, like cash, cash, people working on cash script, um, for instance, which is a, a language for describing. You know, you're asking about more high-level language tools, which I'm not actually involved in at all. <laughs> right, I'm just right. worried about the consensus layer. I'm not involved in the higher-level tools. I know like Roscoe Callis maybe received some funding recently mm -hmm. to do cash script stuff. Um, I'm and, just thinking like the the like the blockchain would act as like the, blockchain the, is a <laughs> the global state, right? And yeah. So... Well, you, you, okay, you can think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, the global state. I mean, you can say that like all the UTXOs that exist right now at height, whatever, seven hundred thousand, whatever, is the global state. But um, each UTXO contract can't really see the other ones, like unless you like they're involved. Uh, in the same okay. They have to okay. be in the same transaction to like see each other, to talk to each other. Gotcha. I think that answers the question that I didn't yeah. know how to articulate. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Like a UTXO can't see just some random one on. Like it, they have to be once they're in the same transaction, then they can talk. Then they can see each other because otherwise it would just be too slow. Like it would be like Ethereum problem, like where you just have too much to process. Gotcha. <laughs> so we do you do it more lightweight stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly how I visualize it. Uh, technically, is like you were indicating with your fingers there, the UTXO set sort of expanding outwards. That's how I see it. And like Jet, like you're saying, the global state is essentially the sum of all those UTXOs. But the important thing is for any specific operation, you only need to be concerned with the couple of inputs to your output, which means that even though you can figure out the global state and uh, that's you know, the part of the UTXOs is when you're creating a transaction, you're putting inputs in and getting outputs out, right? So you might put in two inputs and get five out. So it can go up and down. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you're still sort of burning uh, some UTXOs to create new ones, which keeps things from becoming just an exponential rise off into infinity. Uh, it does grow <laughs> over yeah. time because there's more people using the system and more th things getting split down. But that's why Bitcoin Cash can be so scalable. And we there has been no cases of that. We haven't seen a single UTXO blockchain really push the, well, maybe BSV, but if you set them aside, right, like Litecoin or BTC or uh, Dash or any of those ones have never got enough massive traction rolling in terms of actual commerce or decentralized apps or anything for us to really see the comparison of a UTXO to a Ethereum style scaling. But we will hopefully see that soon with this release. So was this yeah. uh, very difficult or or complicated to build? And I asked that sort of as a proxy for, is there any risks or anything that could, or bugs or things that could, could crop up that uh, you're worried about? I mean, obviously there's a fairly major change and people are quite excited about it. So generally, even though it's not always the case, the bigger the change, 
the more is involved, the bigger the risk. And so I'm wondering if you can just speak to that. So the good part about it is uh, the, the specification was very well thought out. Jason Dreisander, Dreisander, uh, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, Jason Dreisander, bit Jason. He uh, he thought about it really deeply and, and he worked on it. And so the specification was worked out and it sort of had been evolving as a specification for like two years now. People had been discussing it and like sort of shooting each other ideas, each other's ideas down that were dumb and supporting ideas that seemed to make sense. Um, so by the time we got the specification of BCHN, uh, it was really, really well thought thought through. And so a lot of like the problems, it was a very clean specification. So that made it good. But of course, it's it's a very it's a deep change to the code of BCHN. Like you're saying, like you can introduce bugs. There's always that risk. So I spent a lot of time just working on it very carefully, um, just making sure that I understood completely the the impacts of each change, and sort of the program wide invariants weren't being violated. Um, I was very very careful. I spent like a good two months working on it, um, and then there was a good deal of testing involved, and we we ran a bunch of test networks ahead of time. And we thought about all the corner cases, like how do we destroy, you know, what can, what did we miss? Like, what didn't we see? Um, uh, I don't believe there's any new bugs. <laughs> I, I really want to, you know, I stand by this. There are no bugs. I want to say this. <laughs> of course, you know, I don't want to jinx myself, but uh, the gods may be watching, right? Like in the Greek tragedies, <laughs> you don't want to tempt the gods. But um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it was invasive, but it was clean. Like it made sense. It fit into the code. It fit into the UTXL model. It made sense. If you're not, if you're careful when you're changing software, when you're doing changes that make sense, that sort of are congruent with the whole the way the whole system works. And it was 100% congruent. Jason did a great job of coming up with, with a very clean, sane spec that's congruent with the way Bitcoin Cash thinks. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, I think it's, I think it's a very high probability. I'm very confident there are no bugs. We did, we did our due diligence. I, and I, personally, like, I take it very seriously. Like, if there's a bug, my name's on it. Like, it's, you know, this is like for me the most important thing professionally that I'm doing. So <laughs> I take it very seriously. So uh, it's been thought through, and and the change is not. It's not so like it's not messy. It's very clean. It's very clean, and it's it's well it's well contained, and it's opt in. Like you don't have to use it, and you know you don't you don't pay for what you don't use. And I feel like it was very clean. It was very, and it's one of it's the most, I think probably the most significant change we've had to Bitcoin Cash since forking from Bitcoin Core. In terms of just use case possibilities and code complexity, and but um, but it was well thought through, and it was, and we had it ready ahead of time. And most of the time, software is like a behind schedule. Like we had it ready, you know, the whole thing was ready like a couple of months. You know, we were testing it like two months before we were supposed to have like the official test network up in November. We were already testing it like in September, you know, before then, like in August and September. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was a good process. You know, I'd like to, I want to give confidence to the community and tell you that yes, I believe there are no bugs, and I, I believe it's it's well thought through and it's due diligence was done and we put our names behind it and you know we, it's really it's really a good it was a good design and good implementation I would say yeah <laughs> yeah no this is uh, this is brilliant stuff because to me there's there's sort of several things that go into this like you said it was ready like the november it was supposed to be locked in but it was ready ahead of that time now and now we have the testing uh and the chipnet uh process and people can uh, start making apps and build out some of the tooling and it will actually go live in may and like you say in software it's almost unprecedented <laughs> yeah. that you would have major features uh ready ahead of time and so this is you know uh, a very good sign of confidence in a, in a community obviously if you're if your development uh, teams and so on can get everything ready way in advance, that's obviously 
ideal. And it's also important to be able to land a major change like this because unlike BDC said, okay, we're just not going to change anything. Asterix, <laughs> asterix. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Unless if if if, if, if they say that, you. then <laughs> yeah, <go on. laughs> like you yeah, like you were like you were talking about before with uh with uh, firing the devs and getting some new ones. If you don't need to change much, then it doesn't really matter what what's going on because you can just not you know not upset the apple cart, right? But if you want to be progressive and you want to be making changes, making upgrades expanding the capacity or the scope or the power of the chain, opening up new use cases, doing better kinds of integrations, all these things, you need to have a, a, a dev team and a community as well as a whole that has confidence in making those changes and being able to successfully roll things out, right? What, what doesn't get used rusts. And that's kind of the same for in a uh, development ecosystem, right? Like the, obviously best practice these days is to do be doing continuous deploys and so like so on, when you work on a software team for people who don't know um you know like facebook let's take as an example they roll out changes all the time just small changes they're just constantly rolling them out and there's a couple of reasons to do that firstly is that they need to be able to isolate and test those things individually you know if you make 10 changes and then you put them all out at once well only one of those changes might be broken but if it screws up everything then your development team is in a world of hurt and so are your users right and then also the more frequently you can release the more well tested your actual development team is at producing those uh changes releasing them having the quality assurance done properly you know, following the procedure, making sure it's documented, making sure the users are aware that this new feature, all those things, uh, it's just like anything comes with practice and and with habit. So that's very, very important. And I'm glad, it's, for instance, that's one reason why if I had to bet on a 50-year time frame, I would bet on Ethereum over BTC. Why? Just because the Ethereum community are regularly shipping updates and so yeah, given long enough Much they're going to just accelerate way ahead right so it's... yeah <laughs> no no disagreement yeah Ethereum has their, their stuff together as far as development goes and just governance and just deciding like can be able to like debate each other on topics and not and BTC is all about just like name calling and attacks and censorship and <laughs> what the hell's going on over there and you know the proof is in the pudding like their chain is not innovating at all <laughs> yeah absolutely agree no no, no disagreement yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then with this uh next slide i've got here community comment of the week comes from nikita Jav javoronokov Javoronokov. Yes. So <laughs> calling back to getting the names right who is yeah. one of the developers i believe at Blockchair, I, I don't know, you might uh, know him uh, more than I do. I just know his, uh, yeah, the the Block Explorer, but yeah. uh, I just know some of his uh, tweets. But he made this tweet, which uh, in response to uh, Cash Script putting out the 2023 BTH upgrade will bring cash tokens, which enables novel new smart contract use cases to make sure we're able to support cash tokens in Cash Script. We just launched a flip starter chip in if you can. And then his reply to that was Bitcoin Cash gets a new token standard every year. Uh, sweat face uh, emoji wormhole to SLP to smart BCH to cash tokens to question mark. And he's kind of poking poking fun at it. 
yeah. I don't think he's malintentioned. He's just making a, a joke. But I think it's a serious point that's worth discussing and asking you about is that to me, I don't mind about uh, this because I see it as just, well, firstly, I think Wormhole was mostly theoretical. SLP got implemented and had some problems and Smart BCH was a side chain. So that they, it's kind of conflating several separate things as though they were yeah, all identical. Yeah. yeah. But the, the point is well made, right? That there was several iterations. To <laughs> yeah. me, that's just a it's decentralized learning growing, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, SLP was more of like a proof of concept that you can do tokens in a simple way where you don't even need validation and consensus rules where you can just throw them on the chain and use the chain as just a database. And then you don't know if chain of custody was legit or not. But uh, SLP was more of a proof of, proof of concept that got out of control. <laughs> that, you know... It, it, it was it was a little it was supposed to be like a little toy system and then it ended up being really popular and it kind of and then it, it fell over because it couldn't scale uh and like you said yeah smart bch is a side chain um which it, you know uses ethereum technology on a side chain and, and it's it's sort of trust-based it's not <laughs> we saw where that went um so this is the first native token on bch that's validated and that's like doing it right it's and i think it's i think it's the last one it's, I think it's a lot. I think it's the final standard for BCH as far as tokens go. I really do. It's it's just on chain. It's native. It's the native language. It's valid. It's got everything you need. Not side chain. Not this side. Not this redheaded stepchild. Sadly, that was SLP because it wasn't minor validated. Uh, this is minor validated. It's on chain. It's fast. It's got all. It's got everything you need. <laughs> I feel like it's the final one, but it's a valid criticism that he makes. Like absolutely, and it's a good joke, and you know, it's funny. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's true. But that's just an you know that's that's one of the things about the punk rock BCH spirit man like we tried you know we did SLP first because it was easy and because people wanted it and everyone was excited and you know we tried that out it didn't you know it didn't go as, as you know it's it had its limitations we tried smart BCH because people were like hey let's have Ethereum stuff on BCH <laughs> okay here you're doing the side chain don't bother you know let's try it out there and then you know and so but now it's going to be native it's the native language of the chain and so hopefully this is the one that sticks you know. <laughs> three or four times is the charm i guess i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's just the, the punk rock nature of, of bch man you know people people can start you can start your own token standard tomorrow that's uh probably not going to be consensus rules unless you get the, the chip process going but <laughs> you, know, you could always do it as an op return or as a side chain which is what slp and bc smart bch were so <laughs> you know no one's stopping anybody yeah <laughs> um cool all right. Well, it's just good like to hear that. Okay. One. Maybe this, this is the, the last one. one. Yeah. Cash tokens is the last exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> and it's an important thing, but at least if we, you know, maybe it takes a few tries, but once you've got it right, brilliant, because then we can kind of move on to the next thing, right? That's, you know, you don't want to be just stuck in the same cycle, trying to resolve the same problem a hundred times. Yeah. You want to get an answer, problem done, next thing, right? So I'm yeah. very, I'm also like you, very confident that this, is well designed, well done, and that this will actually solve the solve at least that part of the problem. Obviously, then it will create new problems, which will be how do we build the infrastructure and how do we da 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 da. But that will all be new and exciting things, and we'll then we'll be able to solve those um, problems. Two Dick Pete asks, "What's the difference with side chains?" Well, I mean, I, I you can get your take as well too, but my take is certainly that the the side chain you're kind of designing in a blank canvas really so you can just make any kind of whatever you want in a side chain which is what they did but they did by taking the evm 
and uh, code and a lot of that was already built so it wasn't exactly a blank canvas but in theory you have a blank canvas whereas with the existing chain you have to build on what's already there obviously and that means that you're limited in in some ways but also that the uh, the design is going to be more informed by what is already there but the benefit you get from conforming to those requirements is that a lot of the infrastructure is already there all those properties you mentioned about native um validation being built in uh, by default a lot of wallet software and so on uh will will only need to make smaller integrations to make it happen and obviously we get the decentralized and proof of work backed nature of things that was part of the problem with smart bch was even though it was done completely separately it did have uh you know a slightly different consensus model and all that which then ended up being a disaster with the bridge and you know all, all of how that went but you don't have any risk of any of that with on-chain native tokens. So the kind of the risk is higher in some senses because you're, you're playing the main game. You don't get a second shot at it, but the reward is also higher, which is that it comes uh, with the proof of work and the decentralized no work. So how, how would you answer that question? I, I would say that that's absolutely correct. I agree with every single word you said. So with, with, with the main chain, yeah, it's proof of work back. Then you want to be more conservative. You don't want to negatively impact the main chain's focus, which is peer-to-peer -peer cash. Um, so you have to be very conservative with features on the main chain, which is probably why we did we avoided doing it for all these years uh, until we had a good design um, and that everybody agreed to. And uh, until, until things settled politically, like Amory, Amory, Amory Sachet was kind of not too keen on coins and tokens and all this kind of stuff. So I think that's one of the reasons why it took this long and why people were doing it on the side. Um, but uh, you know everything you said is absolutely correct. Cannot like you know the side chain is just this thing, this blank canvas, and you can do anything you want in it. But you're not, you don't have the benefits of the main chain, which is this minor back decentralized system, minor back, minor, minor POW validated, you know, sense you know censorship resistant, peer to peer system. <laughs> On the side chain, you sort of had the problems. You know, how do you get to the side chain? Well, maybe you got to go through some guys that you know they control all of it. So now it's trust. You know, you got to trust them <laughs> and stuff like this. So. <laughs> So yeah, you, you summed it up perfectly. I can't, <laughs> totally. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, there you go. I, I, I do know something about Bitcoin Cash. I'm glad to oh, hear that I'm able, able, able to get some of the answers right. Uh, okay, so on the next slide, I then have as well, these uh, flip starters have been funded. So I wanted to highlight these. Obviously, sometimes we bring up uh, flip starters that are ongoing on the show. These ones are actually both already funded. So nobody needs to be reaching for their wallets but uh 130 bch went to pat from mainnet uh who's a great guy i've uh, actually been doing a little bit of coding sort of in association with him so uh you know i got a lot of confidence there and also 100 bch to roscoe callus for cash script like you said so that these libraries uh mainnet and cash script can integrate the cash tokens stuff uh and i wanted to bring this up and just touch on it quickly because i think it's important to see how the pieces are fitting together there is the decentralized crowdfunding and that's working and the community has in the past basically wasted <laughs> quite a bit of its resources on flip starters which didn't go anywhere or weren't that important or too much money was given to people without a track record or all kinds of different things have happened but that's slowly that problem is being solved as people learn how to treat this new tool 
obviously a better Flipstart accountability platform would be great. And I hope somebody, if anybody's listening, if you want a Bitcoin Cash business idea, there's one right there. <laughs> Just charge a small subscription fee to get info on the history of Flipstarters or charge the creators to opt in. They can even just tack it in as part of their funding goal. And then they they pay you to create an archive and follow up with them and whatever is an independent arbitrator. Somebody can make a ton of BCH uh, doing that. But yeah, I don't have the time. So hopefully, well, hopefully now that somebody... we have with cash tokens, actually, you can do it where it's on chain. Like you can have contracts now that that sort of uh, the people that originally funded can decide that they're happy with what has happened or not. <laughs> and that I mean, exactly. you can have some escrow set up and then the developers don't get everything unless they. I mean, you can do more, you can make it a lot smarter now. We even just have it on chain and then have like a smart contracts, you know, cash tokens. <laughs> cash tokens solves this problem too. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that'll be innovated. Someone can do that. Yeah. Someone can. Flipstarter itself is really ingenious. I mean, it's used, it, it was great. Like the, the people that worked on it, you know, I absolutely think that they're awesome people. Uh, and the history of Flipstarter itself is interesting. Like Amri Sachet at the time was complaining about funding and being a problem in BCH. And then, you know, he wants that attacks was really his secret goal. But, um, and then people were like, hey, are we made Flipstarter. <laughs> Use this. And then he was like, nah. <laughs> but then other people started using it. Uh, and it, it ended up funding a lot of good stuff. And, you know, some stuff, I guess not. But I really think like both Mainnet Pat and, and Roscoe Callis are hardcore dudes. Like they're going to, they're really passionate. I think they're going to, they're going to make good. I mean, they, they were probably would do it for free if they could, but it's good that they're getting paid. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But with with, with cash yeah. tokens, definitely Flipstarter can be upgraded. Where the, maybe there could be some validation verification, where pe if people that originally funded could decide if they if they're happy with what happened or not. That that could be something that some people might want to do. And then like people proposing stuff, if you know they'll get only like a quarter of their money, and then if to get the, the whole thing, you know, you have to follow through, and then people can vote on it. Um, yeah, you, cash tokens unlocks that completely on chain. That's one application. Yeah, you know, completely on chain, completely that, fast, completely decentralized, that would permissionless. Be huge. It won't be like a central website where you get like a webmaster, you know, can like subvert everything. <laughs> yeah, it'll be on chain. Yeah, that would be huge. It would be interesting if the people that worked on Flipstarter add smart contract stuff to it later, uh, where can you can make it more robust. Yeah, that would be huge. Totally, totally. <laughs> and we'll get some of those uh, upgrades. It like there's again, it comes back to the layers, right? So there's the first layer of at the protocol level that's possible, and then you have a secondary layer where the Flipstarter uh, people or devs or whoever. Uh, build build up some tooling and stuff around that and then you have a third layer where somebody has got to make it really slick ui because i can see it in my mind <laughs> so clearly yet another thing that i just don't have the time and energy and you know funds to sort out myself but, but uh where you just would have a website it would have a list of all the flip starters you know the people are proposing or whatever they click on that it, it goes into the page and they have that broken down in in blocks like a product development roadmap we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to do this you have the attached amounts of money you have people just contribute down the side you send in your amount of money you get back your voting shares in the project they have it you know there's four stages like you said maybe 25 percent each or according to whatever breakdown they wanted and then you could just check back on that website anytime and there would be a box whether like a like upwork or like fiverr or something where the person delivery and they've got here we delivered this this and this and then you can click i'm a i'm a uh token holder so i want to vote is this good enough yes no maybe you can even leave some comments as to uh well 
this wasn't good enough because they said they were going to do this and that and they didn't and people can discuss in there and then if they get enough fun like once you have and maybe you have a option for all the token holders to uh unanimously vote like pull the funding like they they screwed <laughs> up the first section like let's all cash out back to ourselves once you have all of that and then the community will develop a culture around that where people will be able to do funding and quickly earn a reputation if they deliver and if they don't deliver then only a very small amount of funding will need to be allocated to them because people can just pull it back if they're not coming through you know it's it's just it's going to be amazing i can't wait i think it's great it's gonna be motivating for everybody it's gonna be motivating for people that want to fund and that you know they don't want to they want to make sure that their funds are used and then people that are developing if you have a gun to your head about stuff aren't you going to do a better job maybe i mean i would (laughs) uh yeah absolutely but it's all about ui like you say like uh, you know the Flipstarter project. I think it came. They threw it together in like three weeks or something. And the, the UI is pretty nice, like considering. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it is a UI challenge. Just how do you present it and do it in a, in a slick way? Like you have great ideas on that. I agree completely. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get there. And then and then because then the thing is then so once you have that website with all those Flipstarters being funded and you can look at the history of all the previous ones and you know maybe then you visually organize it into some kind of uh roadmap of you know what's coming up what's next you know subcategorized by you know merchant adoption and dev tools and and whatever and you have all of that and then the most the best thing about all this is that then people will start to see this and start to figure it out people will start being like oh i wonder what's going on in bitcoin cash you know this coin's been around for a while. I've seen it on Robinhood and they'll look it up and they'll go to that website and just be like blown away at how much all this different stuff is going on because it's so hard to keep track of all uh, what's happening in any crypto community. But if you have a thing like that, which just shows how much uh, work is being done and how many, you know, and people try it out themselves and they're like, this is awesome. And then they dig into it and the fundamentals are all solid down to the protocol layer and, yeah, it's amazing. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. The investment sort of relations kind of <laughs> angle on it. But yeah, if if, if it, people can see all the activity and the, the economic activity, you know, people funding projects and stuff getting done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> then, yeah, then you have totally. stats as well. Obviously, you know, these projects get funded more quickly. Like it would quickly iterate in terms of people saying, oh, the best practice is to break it down into so many stages or have so much money or to um promote it in a certain way or just like the amount of stuff that can come out of this is uh endless but uh i'm, I'm glad i'm very excited for the future we've got got all all the fundamentals locking in and then it'll it's just time for the rest of it to to bubble up while the protocol moves on to the next thing um really so yeah yeah and we have we have the pieces in place now with cash tokens they enable smart contracts in, in, a, in a very you know, it's what you need. You need to be able to do this type of stuff on chain, decentralized, you know, these kind of decision-making things like, <laughs> so yeah, we have, we have, the, we have the primitives, we have the pieces in place and it's an exciting time and yeah, <laughs> totally. All right. That's enough about the technical stuff then. Let's got one, uh, well, we're kind of running out of time. Maybe we can extend a little bit at the end. You said you don't have a hard out to get through a last, no. some of these last ones, but let's just quickly touch on this uh, one here then. Uh, digital currency group versus Gemini. So I've got, this is from January the 3rd. So it's actually almost uh, two weeks old, but this is just the crux of it. And to be honest, I have not followed this story in extensive detail. There's too <laughs> much either. going no. on, but <laughs> the, out together, the, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 pr- the primitives we can, we can hit on very quickly. So Cameron Winklevoss tweeted 
on January the 2nd or January the 3rd, earn update and open letter to Barry Silbert on Twitter. So anyway, you can go look that up if you want to hear what all what he had to say. But he was basically just roasting him and calling him out as like, you've got a bunch of our money. Why don't you give it back? And then Barry Silbert replied, uh, so he has, so the Winklevi are in this uh, company, Gemini, which is an exchange and they're kind of, I don't know, shareholders or involved, however they are. And then Gemini is owned by DCG, which is a digital currency group who Barry Silbert are involved in. So this is this kind of corporate case of these two very large companies, but they're a parent and a child kind of relationship then starting to fight in public about these huge sums of money. So DCG said, uh, or Barry Silbert said, DCG did not borrow $1.65 billion from Genesis. DCG has never missed an interest payment to Genesis and is current on all loans outstanding. Next loan maturity is May 2023. DCG delivered to Genesis and your advisors a proposal on December 29th and has not received any response. So, I mean, who knows the truth uh, as to who has what money, who owes who, how many billions, whatever. The facts are that they're now fighting about it in public and clearly can't agree what's what's going on. And so the customers of Gemini Exchange are potentially, I think right now you can't withdraw from Gemini, so they're potentially all going to get rugged, similar to oh, CoinFlex man. or all the other things that they might be in a bunch no of way. disaster Jesus and Christ. dcg is also going to be you know no like they they have the what are they called the btcg and they have these i don't even know that all the details of these like stock index type of equity investor things that you can put your money into maybe they're all going to get rugged as well too because the money's gone and nobody knows what what's happening on it so i just wanted to get a bit of your take on this as sort of a microcosm of perhaps in hindsight 2022 obviously we had fdx coinflex three areas capital luna all these disasters in in crypto <laughs> how do you sort of see that from from your perspective well it could be good right i mean uh who are these dcg guys anyway they're just a bunch of finance guys <laughs> you know get you know good riddance i don't know like what do they do like do they like own i think they own large stake in coinbase or something they um, have a lot of big investments they were also yeah. sort of caught up in the whole bdc takeover they were involved a bit in in there and they also are big uh owners of this mining pool foundry who are one of the biggest miners and of course you we don't know to what extent their hash rate is controlled by them or is contributed to from other miners who just want to jump on the biggest mining pool so that they can uh, get quick. We're going to wait and I'm back. Yeah. Oh, hey, I think you broke up a little bit or I did. I broke uh, up. Yeah. You said no, they own me. the foundry pool and it. Um, yeah. Oh, they actually got that going. I remember a couple of years ago they approached they approached me and this other guy to do mining software for them there because they're starting a pool and they were just doing it for brand recognition and investor confidence and they're not actually making money on the pool. They were telling us that this was a couple of years ago. I guess they actually got a mining. I don't even, I haven't been paying attention to them. I guess they got their mining pool working. That's great. <laughs> they actually approached me and this other guy to write mining software, like to write a pool software for them. Cause I actually wrote up or I maintained some pool software as well. <laughs> Cause I was curious about a mining pools work. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like it, this could be good. Right. Cause like I, I don't know what these finance guys are doing. I mean, it, it, obviously it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt prices for everybody, <laughs> right? If there's a, 
the thing is like the, the whole economy is like kind of wrecked like there's inflation the stock market's down in some cases 90 percent for some stocks like you know this is in europe they're having like an energy crisis like the, the price of energy is like 5x what it was you know and that's affecting there's inflation everywhere like this kind of shakedown kind of stuff where people just lose money on investments and some firms go under is gonna is gonna happen and it's not surprising that some of it is in the cryptocurrency world you know uh especially the these guys are sound like stock kind of people like <laughs> uh it could be good i mean with every recession or with every economic hit like if there's like you know that that just creates more opportunity for the future like so i think recessions are healthy in general like because they they sort of get inefficient firms off of the out of the market and then you get you know everyone has to lean tighten up lean down like the scammers go away people that know how to work hard and people that are efficient end up succeeding in a recession environment. So if it's the case that some of these concentrations of capital that are in crypto, you know, implode, like maybe it could be good in long-term, but it's definitely going to hurt, right? Because it, it, it'll spook investors. Like who knows what the, I don't know, who knows? Like maybe we have a little mini bull run now and then we're back to like $50 BCH, $5,000 BTC or even lower. Uh, one thing that would be nice is if, it, you know, I have a feeling that the BTC price is somewhat manipulated uh, or, or if, you know, I don't know what these people are up to. It would be interesting if some of these guys explode. Like, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say it'd be interesting. And then BTC goes to like where it should be, which is like probably a thousand dollars, and BCH goes to where it should be, which is above a thousand dollars. Who knows? Like, who knows what these BCG guys were doing, man? Like, if they were involved in core, like maybe they're involved in sabotaging cryptocurrency for all we know. Like, because <laughs> you know, core is basically just captured, right? So. It, it gives all cryptocurrency a bad name. Like the expectation is for it to suck, basically, because everyone, everyone's first bit uh, crypto is usually Bitcoin. Even now, like that's the one that you investigate first, and then it's garbage to use, like as cash. So, I don't know. It could be good. I, you know, maybe these guys will all go away, and then maybe it'll be better. I don't know. I'm trying to be hopeful here with bad news. <laughs> so these are my these are my thoughts on it. I actually don't know the details of the of the deal at all. Like I don't know what's going on. Because I've been spending so much time deving that I haven't been, and this is kind of shocking, right? If there's like these guys fighting, it's never a good sign. We saw that with, you know, didn't we see that with like Roger Ver and uh, yes, and uh, Mark and the Lamb. Coin, 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 yeah, like they and then it turned out to be true. Like everything went went belly up. So <laughs> it's not a good sign when they're fighting like this online. It's not a good sign. <laughs> but hopefully it's you know, I don't know. Hopefully it's not too bad. <laughs> But if it is too bad, then I'm, I yeah. can assure you that these guys are no good anyway. Good riddance. <laughs> exactly. I'm just hoping for a few of them to get washed out of the market. And like you say, yeah, if they blow up, well, it's going to be painful for people in the in the short term. But if you're a Bitcoin Cash podcast listener, not your keys, not your coins, withdraw your BCH, yeah, have a definitely. long-term time frame and use it as cash. So dollar cost average in by earning some and dollar cost average out by spending it and circulating it around the economy. And if you do those things, you will be hold your own keys, bam, you'll be fine. And none of this will be relevant, but certainly the broader crypto industry might take a <laughs> take a bit of a hit uh and a lot of people will lose their money so just don't be one of those people basically um know your fundamentals really okay so i also wanted to touch on this uh bestsellers.cash forward who has been on the show and is a regular 
uh, you know, commenter on the on the show has uh, relaunched his website, bestsellers.cash. So check that link out and you can get some of his latest products. He's selling uh, Bitcoin Cash, uh, accepted here, stickers in various designs and sizes and so on. Uh, but probably other stuff as as well too. I had a, had a quick look at the site before and I've even got a discount code. So for the rest of January, it's the 15th of January. So for the last two weeks of January, if you use the code Bitcoin Cash Podcast 30, that's with capital B, C and P, Bitcoin Cash Podcast 30, then you can also get a discount and of course paying Bitcoin Cash. So uh, definitely check that out. He He reached out to me after... Uh, he was working on that, but then he's you know relaunched it and made it even slicker. So uh, just have to give him a, a quick mention. And I'm gonna on go. to I'm gonna go order some after we hang up. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> there we go. All right, there we go. He's already got his uh, next yeah, next customer. Thirty percent off. It's a great deal. Wow, that, I'm doing that. Yeah, <laughs> that is a great deal. That is a great deal. And then for meme of the week, we have this one's not really a crypto uh, one so much. Although I thought to maybe tie it in. This comes from the mook sukrita mook i think her name is she's this girl in thailand and she was uh mates with mark falzon and she she's a bit involved in the uh bitcoin cash you know she's definitely using her stuff anyway she has these very quirky twitter feed that i enjoy following and so she posted this uh uh tweet which is a picture it says ao and then what with three exclamation marks and the picture is of her in line she must be waiting in line for for something like at the airport or the bus stop or wherever one of those places and there's a board that has what number people have and the numbers are 107 106 100 so you know obviously 108 or 109 would be the people that uh, have the ticket numbers coming up next and her ticket number is 740 so <laughs> clearly whatever system they've got going there she is well down the down the list of of uh of, of people usually you, you know you get uh, 10 more but i just thought this was funny because firstly it made me laugh but secondly because it was just uh the idea of just waiting and in crypto everybody's been waiting for the bull market to come back <laughs> people have been waiting for cash tokens people have been you know waiting for uh the bdc to sort of slowly die and like the ethereum community they're waiting for the flippening this kind of ideas about patience and good things come to those who wait, but you've got to work hard in the meantime. Uh, so I just, if, it, made, it made me laugh. Yeah. And if you use Bitcoin core, that's just, you know, using the blockchain is like this, right? Exactly. Waiting for it to confirm like two days. Or, <laughs> uh, this is basically what Bitcoin core is like. Use UX. Yes. <laughs> what, this is meme. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it just uh, truly made me laugh. Just <laughs> I don't know. It could have been a ticket misprint, or but you just know sometimes you end up in those situations. It's just so ridiculous. Number one hundred and seven. She's number seven hundred and forty. Yeah, Hopefully on. there wasn't six hundred people all like <laughs> waiting around uh, with her, you know. But uh, anyway, I hope I hope she eventually got to the front of the line, <laughs> no matter how long it took. <laughs> so then we've got message to the community. So this is your chance to just talk to the listeners to the bitcoin cash community at large uh, one of the reasons you came on this show is because you said something on twitter like oh i don't get as involved in a lot of these you know sort of media or content or discussion you're just head down coding away so yeah, here's here's your day, chance yeah. what do people yeah, I... need to hear in in bitcoin cash oh what do people need to hear in bitcoin cash uh 
I feel like what, what we've said already, we're, we're, I think we're the truest Bitcoin. You know, of course, Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, BSV says that. And then Bitcoin Core, obviously, they consider themselves the, the center of the universe. Uh, but I think, and I believe we are the true Bitcoin. We are the continuation of Satoshi's work. Uh, we have the principles that Satoshi laid out and that everybody agreed to until it was captured by BTC in two, uh, 2015 onward. The principles are that uh, decentralized permissionless cash, uncensorable money uh, for the world, uh, scalable, on-chain, known lightning shenanigans, which is insane. Lightning is garbage. Uh, sorry to say that if you're if you're listening and you use both chains, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit radical in saying that it's trash. It's just there's a distraction. It's it, Lightning is not a practical solution in any sense. You're If you want to use Lightning, you end up having custodial stuff issues, and then it, you're not really uncensorable anymore, and you're not the master of your own domain. Uh, and the way to do it properly is do it on chain. And and uh, a lot of the fake arguments that people have used against Bitcoin Cash is that it's a scam, that Roger Verse created it, and somehow he's a scammer. He did not create it. Um, he was involved in it early, and he is a proponent of it, but he didn't create it, and it's not his scam. And I think he's a good guy anyway, and his heart's in the right place. But, you know, he, he's a man, and he's got strengths and weaknesses, like all of us. <laughs> but he's not he is not Bitcoin Cash. Um, and... What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So Bitcoin Core is just uh, not Bitcoin, and Bitcoin Cash is, and we're we're the people that broke away because we didn't like what they were doing, and we think we we think we're doing it right, and we're going to scale for the world. We can do it technically, philosophically, everything you want. We're not captured by bankers. Uh, hopefully, we'll never will be. <laughs> uh, if if our if we become number one, that starts to be a risk. So hopefully that won't you know hopefully we won't get captured then. Uh, what else can I say? I'm really excited about Bitcoin Cash. It's 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 the, it's the real Bitcoin and it's clean. And it's got great code and it's got great design. Um, we've got cash tokens coming up so we can do smart contracts the way people have been wanting to do them on Bitcoin since the beginning. Uh, one of the reasons why Vitalik broke away from Bitcoin and did Ethereum was that they wouldn't let him do any token stuff at all. They were mad at, you know, they were just really, really, it's like, a, it's like a council of wizards that makes all the decisions in Bitcoin. People have the impression that Bitcoin Core is this group of, um, this is decentralized development model. It's not. It's like a couple of guys making decisions. You know, they, the whole project is just like four guys that make all the decisions. Everybody else just listens to them. And, uh, you know, we're doing some of the stuff that should have happened in Bitcoin in 2014. We're doing it now. Uh, and it's the clean, it's the clean, good, lean and mean Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin Cash, and it's you know, the price is low now, so you you know you can spend it, you can accumulate, you don't have to you don't have to hold it, you can spend it, you can it's fast, it works, it's got uh, it's got reliable zero conf, like our zero conf is almost as good as a confirmation for anything like an in inconsequential amount of money. You should just use zero conf, and you know it's going to get confirmed. There's no shenanigans. Like Bitcoin cores destroy zero conf, like just intentionally because obviously if being captured by bankers, that's what they would want to do. <laughs> Although they would claim they have reasons for doing that. Uh, their reasons are completely bogus, and uh, sorry, sorry if this seems confrontational, but I just want to say that Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin, and it's and it's a continuation of of, the, of the Satoshi's work. And you know, I'm just really happy about it. I'm really happy involved in it. I can't believe how long. Like I remember being a guy who was just excited about Bitcoin, and now I'm like working on it, and like I know all the details, you know, that I never thought I would understand, and. Uh, and it's a great community. It's a great culture. People are very freedom minded. They're very free speech minded. They're very personal freedom minded. There's a you know, but sometimes you could just hang out on the social channels on Telegram and like you'll have an interesting conversation about politics and current events and philosophy of life. And I mean, some of my best friends are in Bitcoin Cash community. Like really smart people, man. It's a really good community. Really smart people. 
Um, so I'm really excited. I think it's I think it's the best I think it's the best collection of people I've ever met in my life. Really, honestly, like just <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I tend to ramble sometimes when I'm excited about something, but I hope that <laughs> you know that's good. <laughs> that that's was, good. That was, that was really good. <laughs> I'm I'm backing you all the way. That Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. Obviously, that's been a very sort of controversial uh, topic. Not even outside yeah. the, the community, obviously, but even inside. You know, we've had on this show, we've had it several discussions and perspectives some people think okay you're just hammering on that same old thing like we need to get you know get some new tricks or some new marketing angles and then you have some people who think it's really important and then you have some people who think that well maybe you want to sort of uh, angle it a bit more towards the whole crypto scene if you say that well bitcoin was the invention so like you were saying litecoin and dash and bitcoin cash it's all just versions of bitcoin and trying to get people to see through you know the forest for the trees a bit in terms of what's the actual mission but for me you know bitcoin cash is, is the real bitcoin and even though it's confusing and hard work to explain and educate people through you know the logic and the reasoning like behind that and it's kind of a not a Sisyphean task, but it's a it's a hard task because at the rate that we've been able to educate people, there's been even more people educated the wrong way because the BDC people had the bigger platform. But that that's that resilience that the community has never ever shifted off that that Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. That was like from day one. That's what it was, and we're still with it. And that is just slowly wearing, you can't get uneducated is basically how it works. So once somebody understands, even if they don't agree, they at least understand the Bitcoin Cash perspective and it goes back to the Genesis block and all those kind of things. Once they've got that, even if they don't agree, they can never unlearn that and they will never be convinced again that there's not at least some doubt or contention or or ability for us to prove in the marketplace. Like we said, Satoshi was an engineer, just did it and proved it. Well, it's the same. Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin and we're not trying to just win an argument online if we're out in townsville or in st kitts their bitcoin cash is bitcoin it's a fact uh if you go around to the merchants and you talk about bitcoin they they know bitcoin cash they don't know bdc maybe they've I mean, heard of it, it. Or, but whatever they don't care like, how exactly. are you gonna use it <laughs> it's like ridiculous what are you gonna deal with That's lightning right. and all that stuff That's insane it's already you know crypto is difficult enough like <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. I have to, I want to get out to Townsville, man. That'd be awesome. Like I should do that at some point. There was a the whole COVID thing and it was difficult to travel, especially to Australia because there's yes. more restrictions. So <laughs> I would like to get out there. I would really like to get out to Townsville. Uh, I think it'd be very inspirational for me. Maybe at some point we could yes. all meet Townsville. Like that'd be awesome. Like just <laughs> run it back with the conference. Before, yeah. Before the yeah, yeah. pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I'll I'll be I'll I will I did like I said, I did go there uh recently and I will give some of my thoughts of of uh, how I found it and sort of compare and contrast it to St. Kitts and and stuff like that. But I'm trying to get uh, Jonathan Silverblood on the podcast as well too, and he recently went there and did. So I think it would be the best if we just discuss it all uh, with him because we'll be able to kind of compare and contrast our experience. But it was it was definitely interesting and it's great to see. It is probably the number two place in the world after. I think St. Kitts maybe has a slight edge on them, um, although it depends how you measure it. Is it by number of merchants or by frequency of transactions or by how much the locals use it? You know, there's a lot of angles you can take, but I think probably it's certainly in the top two players for Bitcoin cash adoption and maybe, you know, of crypto adoption probably in the in the whole world as peer-to-peer um, -peer cash. So yeah, we've got a couple of those those different places and 
yeah in those places bitcoin cash is bitcoin and that's all that that's going to expand to everywhere and it's not even just about whether it's practical or whether it's about ideological but bitcoin cash is bitcoin just comes back to those same engineering decisions that satoshi made and the that it is believable it's actually probable or possible that it can be used by the entire world and but that was only because of the decisions that were the foundations were set up correctly for that in the first place and so you know once you get once you diverge off that path or you do something stupid well then you 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 just cannot get to like seven billion users so that's why to be able to handle the world that's the goal yes yeah and it's work you know we can we can do it better than bitcoin can right right now the bitcoin core so yeah, they're, they're intentionally sabotaging themselves, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with them. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Up to us I mean, to you prove can't, it. You can't, use, you can't use Bitcoin in towns. Well, if you tried Bitcoin Core, you can't. <laughs> it's like, it's, what are you going to do? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that will pretty much uh, do it for the show then. I got to shout out my patrons, Ricky and HP. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Thank you very much to everybody who donates to the show as well too that's always great always very much appreciated and certainly it helps uh helps fund everything you know it helps keep the keep the lights on although they're not not really on now but sometimes when they're on that's because of the uh bitcoin cash uh shout out to two dick pete who's in the in the chat he says great podcast guys Callum was awesome and fascinating to listen to. I tuned into a bang. Oh, yep, absolutely. Thank you. Oh, glad, thank you, man. Glad you enjoyed that. And uh, shout outs for the show. So my shout out this week goes to uh, Rob and Lucy. Uh, Lucy is my cousin and Rob is her husband. They got married last night. I was at their wedding and it was it was fantastic. And also shout out to all my relatives that were there, a bunch of them I talked to, uh, including Ben and Rod. Rod, uh, ben and Rod, that's Rob and Rob. Um, yeah, you know who you are. We're chatting about uh, crypto and Bitcoin Cash, and I'll be listening to the show. So, shout out to, and Hamish as well, actually, too. Hamish, Ben, and Rod. Uh, so, that's my shout outs. Callan, who do you want to shout out? And where can uh, people find you? Where can people find me? Uh, I guess don't go to my Twitter because I'm like obsessed with political issues. Uh, but I see Kulianu on Twitter, but you're going to be horrified if you disagree with me. But if you do, you can be polite. Um, I guess uh, you can find me on GitHub, uh, github.com slash C Kulianu. You can see my code there. You could probably find my email from there somewhere, somehow. And email me if you want. <laughs> uh, I'm on Telegram and like the Electron Cash channel uh, on the in the TG Electron Cash. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a strong social media presence. Like, I mean, you know, I'm a programmer. <laughs> so... But you can reach out to me and have a chat with me anytime you want, if you want, if anybody wants to, uh, via, via Twitter, I guess, or or, or Telegram. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Thanks for having cool. me out. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, it was, it was nice to be able to share some of some of the things I, I believe in and and, um, and and feel passionate about. You know, I'm spending all my time in code, and it gives meaning for me to be able to to discuss it in, in this format with you, uh, Jeremy. So I really appreciate. Like, thank you for having me on. Like, it was really exciting for me to be. <laughs> well you can always you can always uh come back once the next big you know banger banger feature uh <laughs> drops and you should be able to see yeah the comments you know you can see on youtube or on twitter what after you know whatever people are reacting to this episode jet do you have any shout outs for this week so one is um 
my partner's father's uh, had a birthday yesterday and he's almost retiring so happy birthday to him and i hope uh, <laughs> retirement's easy especially with the economy right now I'm, uh, i'd be it's a good time to retire yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe um oh. <laughs> the other hey, shout boy, out is actually <laughs> to uh, Kaylin and the uh, the rest of the Electron Cash guys. Uh, Jonas specifically um, and Jim both helped out with my understanding of the BIP70 stuff that I've been trying to work on in Dart and seeing the you know uh, the output in Electron Cash definitely helped me get my software. Like to, okay, so if this is the endpoint, how do I get from what I've got? to that goal and then also being able to report a bug ask for a new release and then immediately i think same day there was a new release so shout out to you guys that was fantastic <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah well, i work on that yeah we hadn't had done a release in a while so it was good timing it's like oh yeah we should probably do a release <laughs> uh yeah that was cool yeah jonas is awesome i want shout out to jonas i didn't do my shout out shout out to free trader all, all the bitcoin cash note guys shout out to Jonald from uh, electron cash uh who else Shout out to everybody, man. I don't know. It's hard for me to think of everybody, but yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was good energy in Electron Cash Shuttle recently. Yeah, totally. <laughs> kind of keep churning it out. The the software, all this stuff. Uh, I, I think often for many people, you know, things like the, the internet or in this case, you know, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin Cash software and stuff, it sort of seems to emerge from the ether for people who are not familiar with, obviously they understand you know, intellectually that, okay, there are people who, who work on this stuff, but because those people tend not to be that vocal and they're already busy with what they're doing, it's easy to <laughs> underappreciate that all this stuff is not just random. Like if somebody somewhere was sitting there typing into their laptop to make it all happen and give us the, the tools that we all use and love. So yeah, thank you very much to all those builders in the Bitcoin cash ecosystem and uh keep powering forward and and looking forward to that uh may may upgrade that's that's going to be a banger there'll be yeah. certainly an episode uh around that as well too so thank you everybody for listening and until next time Bye. <laughs>